And away we go. It is the Holy Grail BCJ podcast. Brought to you right here on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. And uh, good news for the Holy Grail today. Baseball season is back. So uh, I guess the 12th of April is set for uh, the home opener for the Reds. But make sure you're getting to the Holy Grail. When you're down at the banks, as uh, baseball season, they, they have graced us with their presence. So put that on your calendar. If you're going to a game, if you want to go catch a game when they're on the road, get your butt down to our partners at the Holy Grail on the banks. Get you some beverages, get you some good food, and uh, enjoy baseball season. I know Dave will. Dave, big base, big yeah, baseball. Yeah, you know guy. me. Fired up. Hey, you're a Mets guy. Like you, you got to be excited. They they want to luxury tax be damned. They want to spend all the monies. Let's be real. Here, here's how baseball <laughs> works for me. Their their job is to keep me interested until football training camp starts. Yep. If they can do that, great. If not, whatever. <laughs> but yes, if it you was have- funny. It was funny that like. They want apparently. I'm not, I mean, I haven't followed it that closely, but I did see one thing where it was like they were calling it the Steve Cohen tax. They wanted to introduce an additional level of luxury tax because they were afraid owners yeah. like him were just going to spend and spend and spend. And like, isn't that he how it's, care? Isn't that how it's supposed to work though? Like, right? you know, hey, you got the money, I, you want to buy the players, buy let them buy the players. You know what it, you know what it means. Don't buy a baseball team unless you can afford to to buy a baseball team, or or at least try to win. That's what I mean. Like if you're if you're gonna buy a baseball team and be like, wow, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to align our payroll with our resources. No, no, then you don't deserve to own a baseball team. But that's a story for a pardon the punctuation yeah. on another day. We have we have good things to talk about today, Dave. We have we have a win. This is first it's been a while. First in a while. It's been a couple weeks since we've gotten to come on this podcast and talk about a win. So let's enjoy it. Cincinnati 74-63 winners over ECU today. We'll get to that here in just a moment. Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus is going to join in about 40 minutes to uh, talk to Dave. I'm probably just going to like bow out of that one and, you know. Let Dave have his uh, his fun with Austin. Austin, as most of you know, a, uh, a former employee here at Bearcat Journal. Uh, a great guy. Love him to death and uh, super happy for his success at PFF. And I'm going to let Dave, you know, badger him about whatever draft stuff and NFL stuff that, that Dave wants to talk about. So we'll get to that here in about 40 minutes. But first, let's uh, let's we'll, we'll also. Talk a little spring football as we uh, tomorrow being the final spring practice for 11 days, spring practice number four. Then they head off to spring break. Uh, They'll be back the following Tuesday. I think it's the 22nd um, to resume the final 11 spring practices, but uh, some, some good stuff through the first three. So looking forward to that. And uh, yeah. Let's uh, let's talk a little little basketball, Dave. I uh, 
I, I, I it looked like you had a chance to catch the game today during your your work. And uh, look, it wasn't pretty at times, especially the defense in the first half. But credit to the Bearcats, they figured something out at halftime. Maybe it was the little uh, I labeled it a kerfuffle. <laughs> uh, it, it it wasn't you know I didn't see any punches thrown, so it wasn't like a slobber knocker or a Donnie Brook. Uh, but I, I think kerfuffle was the uh, appropriate word. Uh, whatever happened, the Bearcats came out in the second half, a little bit more focused on the defensive end. It went back and forth. Uh, but the good news is they were able down the stretch. And, and th- that's always been my thing with basketball, Dave. Th- what you do in the final five minutes, far more often than not, determines the final outcome. And today, in the final 344, the Bearcats went on a 12 nothing run. And that's how you win games. Not just in March, but in November, in December. Like, <laughs> whenever you're playing them, if you can keep the opponent from scoring in the final media time, like from the final media timeout to the end of the game, you're going to improve your chances of winning. And that's what we saw tonight, today. Whatever. For sure. I mean, their their three point shooting kept a minute in the first half when they yeah. couldn't guard a folding chair, <laughs> and then you know they figured out what they wanted to do defensively. And weird how a terrible shooting team all of a sudden doesn't make any shots when you actually you know guard them. You know, ECU at one point in the first half, I don't know what their number was officially at halftime, but they were shooting 61% from the field. They shot 60% in the first half, 37.5% from three, 100% from the free throw line. Finished 43% from the field. Right. So, I mean, they obviously figured it out, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is like, this team has just been so scattershot for the better part of a month that you watched the first half and was like, okay, I guess this is going to be like an 85, 83 game because neither team wants to guard the other one. And UC was hot from three. And then the game totally changed in the second half where it turned into much more defense, but then also like really, really bad offense for stretches guys just standing around taking, you know, more of a isolation game, taking bad shots. Um, I joked with you earlier today that for a big stretch of the second half, I thought that's what they show hostages to try to get them <laughs> to, to cave. Water, waterboarding via basketball. I mean, at one point it was like 54 to 53 with under 10 minutes to go in the second half. And the game yeah, it was 41-40 at the 41-40, so... <laughs> it was definitely two different games, but I mean, you see, you know, that's, and that, I think that's just the frustrating part. Like in the first half, they showed that they can run good offense and they can make shots. Right. And then in the second half, they showed that when they want to, they can actually guard and ECU is not any good, but they've got a couple guys that can, that can go. And, but it's the, it's that element of it that, you know, we, we cannot get this group for whether it's talent, whether it's I'm not gonna I'm never gonna say effort. They play hard as shit. Like there has not right. been very many times where they've walked off the floor and we've been like, man, that was just kind of a piss poor effort game. Like that's not this team's deal, but it's the 
I mean, I, I sound like a broken record of consistently inconsistent. Like, you have a 40-point first half, and you have a you know 34-point second half, but a lot of that is buoyed by free, free throws. throws at the end of the game, which they finally did yep. a good job making free throws. Um, well, they had their best two free throw shooters. They had the ball in their hand. Right, which they hadn't done in forever. So it's just that's the frustrating part is I don't think anyone expected this team to do anything great this year, but it's that you watch one game and you see good offense and then you see bad offense. You see terrible defense and then you see really good defense. You see good three-point shooting, then you see – Guy Jeremiah Davis, or not Jeremiah Davis, Jeremiah Davenport had as many air balls as he did made three pointers. Yeah. And then you see a team that can't shoot free throws for shit almost all year make them down the stretch when they needed to. So I think that's just the frustrating part is that that stuff is there, but maybe they're just not maybe they're just not good enough to do that for truly extended periods of time against the better opponents. Yeah, I mean, I think that's been, you know, the problem is is stringing together uh, when you play the the upper portion of the league, stringing together, you know, two or three segments. Forget about half to half, like you know, three segments. Like, you know, you go back to like what, the Houston game where they came out. I think it was eleven to nine uh, at the first media stop, um. And then, boom, Houston goes on a run. And Cincinnati's got to go back on a run, you know, two segments later to get it back to respectable. And th- th- there's just not enough. And, and I think what it comes down to, if we're being honest, is, is offensive firepower, right? Like, if if you have a segment or two where DeJulius and Davenport aren't putting points on the board, there's a pretty good chance you're going to see uh, an 8-0 spurt from the opponent. You're muted. Yeah, that's how you go seven minutes without really any offense is if those two guys go through a little mini run where whether maybe they're out of the game or you just they just don't get looks or they're just or the looks they're getting aren't falling. And that's how the Houston game turns into the Houston game. Right. Where you feel pretty good about where you're at, but like you just don't have you don't have the like you said, the firepower to withstand something like that. John says uh, Newman's effort jumped off the screen. This is so today is exactly what we've been talking about. Like, right. Like when this John Newman is your third or fourth best option, you're in pretty good shape. Seven points, eight rebounds, a couple on the offensive end, five assists, 29 minutes. Like he did a little bit of everything. He's the one that really slowed down Tristan Newton um, after he was scorching hot in the first half. They put Newman on him, and, and Newman really made him work. It was six of eight in the first half, and 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 made a three and got you know hit all of his free throws, got anything he wanted pretty much in the first half, and then you know they put John on him, and and Newman denied him the ball pretty much everywhere, made things. Uh, uncomfortable for him. And, and when you do that, you get a guy out of rhythm. And then all of a sudden, instead of, you know, make the, the basket looking like it's, you know, a, a hula hoop, instead you go three of nine, one of four from three, 
you know, you turn it over three times. It, it, Newton was minus eight in the second half. Um, but it, it just, when he can be your glue, right? When he can be your junkyard dog, this isn't a bad team. And today he was able to play in that role. Uh, and, and once he really settled in on Newton and they finally like made that decision that, look, you've got him the rest of the way. All of a sudden the tide stemmed a little bit and, and the, the dude wasn't jumping up and just throwing in, you know, every shot he took, he, he got at the rim. Right. It's harder to put one of your best defenders or your best defender on the other team's score when you also are relying on that guy to give you, you know, a good amount of offensive punch as well. Right. So, which is not, I mean, that's not his game. His game is what he did today. Maybe sometimes it's into the, you know, 10, 12 point range, but like his game is guard, rebound, and, you hustle, know, play hustle, a stick off, facilitate, and just be that, that piece to, to help out on offense, not necessarily be relied upon on offense. It's very hard to be relied upon on offense and then also be looked at to be the the stopper so to speak right you know you can only the guys can only do so much like you can only guard your ass off and then come down on the other end and be the the focal point of the offensive attack and he, that's not his game and i'm not saying that they've used him that way but in some games they haven't had a choice they've had like he's had to take more shots than they probably want which i think then probably you know, hurts him on the defensive end. Or he has to go in and try to fight for offensive rebounds because they struggle to rebound. And then it's, you know, it just takes a toll on you on the defensive end. Right. So, you know, yes, if he can be, like, I mean, we've talked about, I mean, I feel like we say the same things, but, like, he just needs to be that that third, fourth option offensively and – focus on defense and clean up all the scraps and, you know, take advantage of your matchup because the guy that you're guarding is not necessarily going to turn around and guard you. Depending right. I think on he had Miles or Robinson White on right. So, like, game. take advantage of your matchup on offense, but, like, you need to be the, our dude on defense. Like, to me, it's it's just very similar to the role that Rashard Bishop carved out. Like I, it's like, I was just going to say today was his best Rashad Bishop impression. He can be counted on offensively when you need him, but his best, you know, attribute is on the defensive end as, as a glue guy, as a do everything guy, but not necessarily, you know, an offensive focal point. Right. Um, Trying to think of what up. Mikey Saunders uh, with a, a competent outing today, giving him 10 points. He had a couple big threes. Uh, the, the only real knock you have on him today, 0 for 3 from the free throw line. He's got a he's a better free throw shooter than that. He's got to get that fixed. But look, if if Mike Adams Woods is not gonna give you much, and and I think all of his six free throws were at the end. Yeah. I think he played 21, 22 minutes right before that final stretch with no points. I mean, he's he's in he's, one hell of a slump. I mean, we're we're talking 
two for 20 last three games, one yeah. for seven against Houston, one for seven against SMU, 0 for six today. Just does not – and some of his long-range misses don't even – I mean, they're not even close. And he's, I mean, he's, he's a career, like 34% three point shooter, like whatever it is. I mean, but it, it goes even beyond that. I mean, when he, when he goes to the basket, he's doing everything other than just going strong and seeing what happens. I mean, it's, it's a body lean. It's a dropping his left arm down and trying to flip it up over a guy like you're, and I'm sure most of these times, like, He's probably getting fouled, but like you're not going to get calls when you do that. When you go, when you shy away from the contact, or you adjust your shot, they're not going to call foul unless you. I mean, shit, if they didn't call foul when David got absolutely cross body checked, that was like a great over the middle hit in the NFL. Like, dude comes <laughs> across the middle, backside safety just comes over and cleans him out. If they're not going to call that, Micah sure as hell ain't getting any calls going weak to the to the rim man like something he's just i don't know if he's in his own head if he what the deal is but i mean he's he's a much better offensive player to go two for 20 and do it with the shots that just the way they look like they're his jumpers are flat they're they got no shot of going in like these aren't shots that look good and they're just they're just not going in like he's barely drawing rim on some of them um yeah so you needed what you got, the boost you got from Saunders, because, you know, the other thing uh, that was big for me, and it has been big, like we talked, they played better at Houston. They played better at SMU. Uh, the the final results weren't there, but it was better than we had. We had seen them play like crap for three weeks. So yeah, those, um, if you, if they played like they did against Houston and SMU, they're not losing some of those games that they lost in right. February. Um. But for me, a twenty-six to six bench points. Like yeah. this team is at its best when you get, and it didn't have to be anything major. You ten from Saunders, seven from Hensley. We'll get to him in a second. Koval gave you four. Madsen gave you a three. Locking gave you a bucket and and kind of provided a a pretty good presence in there at the rim for a couple minutes. Like when your bench is doing that and at least throwing you a bone in the minutes that they're on the floor. Now, obviously Mikey's more of a, you know, like an extended starter, if you will. But you're also uh, not looking for him to give you like when he's in, you're not necessarily looking for him to give you scoring punch. Sometimes, sometimes. Right. But that's not his main. Right. Like he's not coming in to be like, a microwave type dude that comes right. in for five minutes and gets you seven points like real quick. Right. Um, but if you can continue getting 25, 30 points from your bench, even 20, like it, it, it just takes so much stress well, off of the starters. And especially a situation where you have to rely on DeJulius and Davenport to do everything because when they were struggling, the bench was scoring like eight, right? What did we say at the beginning of the year? This team would win on Effort, depth. defense, and depth. Yep. And in the beginning of the year, that's how they were winning. That's how they beat the crap out of Illinois. That's how they kept it close with Arkansas. And then as league play started, you saw worse defense and you saw nothing from the bench. Well, again, in January, you saw it. 
As soon as February hit, right? I mean, as, as the it, it league, I shouldn't grinded. say right when league play started. As the as league play went Turned on, over. it got worse and worse. As you got, got to playing teams a second time, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, but that's that's a big key for this team. If depth is going to be a strength, you can't get eight bench points, <laughs> right? Like you just can't do it. Well, you can't. You especially can't get eight bench points if you're not a great shooting team. So, like. You know you're going to go. Your starters are going to go through stretches where they don't score. Right. Well, then when you put your bench in, if that stretch continues because the bench can't score, then then you have no shot. Right. Uh, is this an NIT with with a win tomorrow? Probably. Uh, I think that a lot of that depends on the conference tournaments because the yeah. If a team that won their regular season doesn't win their conference tournament, then they automatically go. Right. So but there's still 32 spots. Like if this is a 19 win team, that I, wins I, over, I would say maybe Illinois and Houston, maybe I think it would give them a pretty good chance to be in an IT team. Right. But you just have to see, I mean, a lot of those bids could get grabbed up if. Yeah, you know. for sure. Cause we don't know, like we don't follow the smaller leagues that if a team, you know, that's a one bid league, but that the team, that won the regular season doesn't win the tournament. They're going to the NIT. Right. Who who was four or five? Was it Temple and Tulane? I think so. So if you see manages to beat Houston, they'll get one of them. Uh, I, I wouldn't feel terrible. How many people do you think? Yes, it was Temple and Tulane. How many people yeah, do you think are Thanks. at the or were at the UCF USF game? And actually, we're watching it on TV. Probably about the same number. Like, you know, I mean, probably honest, 100, honestly, 150 like, people there. And honestly, do you think 10,000 people in the nation watch that game? No. No. I don't think so. Like, it, I, it, I, I mean, don't find that to be correct. We can, we can, uh, you know, we still have parts of this game to talk about, but I don't know. It just, it was very, and it's been this way, so it's not a surprise, but like you had the Duke-Syracuse game going on at the same time as the UC game and the Texas A&M-Florida game going on. And both of those gyms, arenas, not were basically packed. And the UC game had like maybe 500 people at it. Yeah. At least wow. it seemed that way. Maybe there were more, but like, it's just such a – it's so depressing to watch how, like – and that arena seems awesome. Fort Worth is a is a fun place to go, but, like, nobody wants to go watch these teams, man. It's it's so bad. I'm so looking forward to Kansas City. And even if UC's not that good in the first year in the Big 12, like, that's a real-ass conference tournament that's exciting to go to for a whole day and watch the other games. Like, no one – I would never go – and watch the other games at the American Conference Tournament. Right. Why, 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 what's the allure? What's the appeal? Like, you are you are you really, like, tomorrow after UC's game, you're going to stick around and watch that riveting Tulsa Temple tilt? <laughs> or Tulane Temple tilt? Like, oh, you want to get some lunch? Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. Tulane, Tulane Temple? How can we miss that one? Followed up by like USF, SMU, something like that. 
That'd be yeah, that's a, that's a barn burner. But anyway, um, Jared Hensley, Tulsa, Memphis, Jared Hensley, he's coming on. If there were more games left in the season, would I be an idiot for saying he should be starting? Uh, probably because like right now he's playing mostly the three, so I'm not starting him over Newman, right? Um. I mean, I guess you could make an argument for Davenport, but Davenport's still such an important part what, of your offense. What about Micah? Well, he's not hes not a point guard. Well, no, but David is. David's not a point guard either. We, well, we tried that last year. I know. Like, it, you got to have one of Micah or my, uh, Micah. My, ar- my argument the- behind it is, and I know it's not, it's not now, really, what, it doesn't really work, but my argument is if the season is, is like, continued, he'd be right. a, he'd be closer to a 20-minute game guy. I just look at him and I mean he's he's clearly figured something out lately, but like he's the dude that matches up athletically and physically that they don't have yeah. in their starting rotation. Like he's the guy that can guard a lot of different people, he's the guy that can rebound out of position. Like today, he he hit that corner three where he just caught it and shot it. Like there wasn't right. any thinking. There wasn't like, should I do this or do I need to pass it to somebody else? Like his athleticism and you know just overall physic physical being is what this team needs to be moving forward through the roster, not just in the starting five. Like I think that's the thing that we need to see as we transition to the yeah. big 12, like the Jared Hensley body type athleticism needs to permeate through the entire roster. Now, it, you know, in those positional sizes and everything, but like well, everybody, yeah, I mean, needs to be, everybody needs to be like him. That's what you're getting with Reed and skillings, right? You're getting six, six, seven guys with long arms and, Good athleticism. It maybe reads a little bit more cerebral than athletic, but like, but that's those fine. Are the, body if the other four guys on the floor, right, are the you know the athletic dudes. Like, right, you know, not every team. Not you seems probably never going to be in a position to just have like a bunch of guys like you know that like Duke has running up and down the floor, just like you know. Yeah, like, but you know. Like Jaron wasn't a, a great athlete, but he played on a team that that covered for that, right. or teams that covered for that. So no, you're right there. Uh, I, I, this is I'm telling you, it was with him, 100 confidence. As he has grown more and more confident, you're seeing his game expand, and you know that's that's the key for somebody like him. He just he didn't have. I firmly believe, like, when you watched him, compared to what I saw from him, like, in the summer, when watching Open Gym and stuff like that, he played with confidence. Like, he played, like, he like he had a purpose when he was on the floor. And if you go back and watch the first two-thirds of the season, he played like he was just trying to get through whatever three-minute stretch he was in, right? Like, don't, I don't want to hurt the team. He, he's trying to be a good teammate. I don't want to do anything out of line. I don't want to go out of my box. I just want to come in, give the guy I'm supposed to get, you know, give John Newman a three-minute breather, and then, you know, go cheer my ass off on the bench and, and be as much of a team guy as I can. 
because he's about the right things. Like it, it, he's almost at a point there where a little bit where it's like, Jared, be a little more selfish, bro. Like go try to do something instead of just being in there to like, like a, you know, like what a, a third line guy in hockey. He's just in there to like be on the ice for four minutes to give the and, first line guy. Yeah. A rest. Yeah. And as he has started to come out of that, we're starting to see there's an act actually a really talented dude in there. You know, seven points, three assists, two rebounds, hit that corner three, had that the 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 offensive rebound where he got fouled and went to the free throw line, made both free throws. He defended well. Um he didn't let guy, you know, guys aren't gonna athletically just mismatch him. And you're getting a guy now that looks like unfortunately it's at the very tail end of the season but looks like he's turned the corner and and can go into the off season potentially with a lot of confidence in his ability to grow and that his role with the team and what's asked of him is going to evolve as well yeah it's, very I mean, encouraging I, for sure i mean that's that's the thing is you wish they had you i mean I don't know what, you know, who knows what their postseason path might be. Um, you know, whatever the players want to do, if, you know, sometimes they're That's just what it's going to come down to. I sometimes think. they're ready to just be done with it. Sometimes they're like, no, let's keep playing. This group seems like they want to oh, play, but oh, let's keep playing kind of group. But, you know, you never know who, you know, what that means. Yeah. I, I would just say, like, today's a great example and and so was SMU so was Houston their season was over two weeks ago for all intents and purposes right like there wasn't a whole lot left to play for and they didn't roll over and and, and it was game after game after game bang 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 you know no rest no ability to really dig in and, and get into a scouting report against your next opponent you're just back out on the floor and it's easy to fold. And they have not done that. And look, yes, I agree with the the sentiment that uh, that should be the bare minimum. Like that should be the, the, the base level expectation, right? But these are still 18 to 22-year-old kids. Like getting them to dial in and focus and continue to play hard through the end of a season where you're crawling to the finish line pro pros making millions and millions of dollars struggle to to do yeah. that when they know the season is not meeting is not going to result in right you know the expectation that they maybe had at the outset so to expect a bunch of college kids to just you know tune that out and and keep keep giving that same same you know quality effort and mindset every game is to me is unrealistic i agree but you know as we talked about these guys haven't quit hensley on white needs to be a thing tomorrow uh fabian white play Jarrett with john some tomorrow I, i'm not against that um i mean what chad at this point why, why not what's like, the matter do, right run, run, do you know whatever you think you need to do to win like you know it'll be interesting to see what I think Houston is definitely starting to feel the effects of their their injuries and their lack of depth. Um, you know, 
I'm not yeah. sure it'll matter tomorrow since they've now gotten what what I what six days off. Their last game was probably Saturday. Yeah, they played. They got boat raced on Saturday. Was it Saturday or Sunday when they played Memphis? I think it was Saturday. Either way, five or six. They've either gotten five or six days off. Plenty of rest. So they've gotten plenty of rest. They've gotten to work on whatever they needed to work on from the Memphis game. Um, You know, you know, Kelvin will have them ready. You know that they want to do the best they can to you know, defend their final four trip. You know, they don't want to be looked at as the team that, yeah, we went to the final four and then this next team had a nice regular season, but then flamed out in the conference tournament and flamed out in the NCAA tournament. So I think no matter what, the Bearcats are up against it. So, I mean, why not? I mean, throw throw whoever you can on these guys. Right. I, I just... It's such a t- hard, like, it's such a difficult thing to picture Cincinnati winning just because, as we've talked about every time they played Houston, their weaknesses are Houston's strengths. Well, and, and even against not good ECU, they still go through offensive stretches. So, you know you can't go through a stretch against Houston no matter where you just can't score. And you know that's going to happen tomorrow. Right. I mean, it happened today against a not good team. Right. Well, that's the thing. is One, Cincinnati struggles offensively, and Houston's defense is very good. Two, Cincinnati struggles as a defensive rebounding team, and Houston offensive rebounds as well as anyone. So... Uh, Here's an NFL question for you, Dave. I'll let you have this one. Mm -hmm. Landon Collins released. Possible for Forrest to fill that spot in Washington? Uh, I think so. I don't know the Redskins super well or the Washington Commanders. Commanders. I mean, I know know they apparently love Carson Wentz. Holy shit, that trade. Um, Wow. Maybe we, I'm going to – Austin had a pretty great tweet about that one. So after we talk some UC stuff, I might ask him about that one. But, um, yeah, I mean, they asked – apparently they asked Landon Collins to restructure his contract twice. They didn't want to do it, so they cut him. So they must feel pretty good about either drafting a safety or somebody that they already have on their roster. So maybe they see – Derek is, is stepping into that role. Now, I don't I mean we'll see, but it, it doesn't, it certainly is not going to hurt his chances. You cut a guy, a veteran, Pro Bowl type player making a ton of money. They're not just right. doing it because they felt like it, like they have a, a plan. And I doubt that plan is dra- hopefully draft a guy. So, yeah, I, mean, I, don't, I don't see why not. And, I, you know, a lot of that, of course, is probably going to depend on what kind of impression he made on the coaching staff in his rookie well, year. We know, we know that he was. We know, right. Yeah. But that, that I was, that's what I was getting at, is you know that there's nobody that's going to be like, I'm not sure about this guy's work ethic. We don't we don't know about the heart that this guy has. I think that's uh, so. the part of, probably part of the reason that it makes it easier for them to release Landon Collins is that they feel good about 
that there. aspect of yeah. it. Um, you got anything else on East Carolina? No, I've, I've, exa- I've exhausted my East Carolina notebook. <laughs> what What is success for you tomorrow? Don't get Why blown you- off the floor. Like, just make, whatever that means, make it a game. Like, make it like it was in Houston. That was a pretty competitive game until, I don't know, the, la- the last, you know. 10 minutes, 12 minutes. Yeah, just make them sweat a little bit, man. I mean, like, don't just let them come in there and push you around, the dictate tempo from the jump, and, and things like that. Like, because to me, like, losing by a number to me doesn't necessarily, like, I don't look at that as like, oh, that was a successful game because they only lost by 15. Like, my, right. my, my view of it is, like, the way that it looks. Well, yeah, what if you're down 25 the whole game and you go on a 9-0 run in the when final it, segment? Right, when it doesn't and, and matter. Would, yeah. Like, the way that the game looked at Houston was more indicative of what I expected them to play. And, got, you know, Houston – scored six there at the very end or whatever to to make it look scoreboard wise yeah, like 12 it, point game 18 right so and they yeah, gave money it did we're, we're looking to to capitalize again tomorrow <laughs> what, what's your what's your breaking point on that number i don't i don't know what was it was fifth it was 14 and a half at houston yeah i'm guessing and i'm Neutral floor, I bet it might be lower because of the way they played against Memphis. Yeah, Memphis is just a different animal when it comes to matching up with Houston. Well, sure. Sure. But but yeah, I mean, they're long, they're athletic, they, they can I, shoot I just, it. Just, just play your play your ass off because you know it's probably gonna be your last game of yeah. the year. Now, they don't look at it that way. They don't go in and go, let's play hard because this is probably our last game. But, like, play your ass off. You know, don't let them just destroy you on the glass. And, you know, and just an- answer their punches. Like, when when we go through a little drought on offense and they take a five-point lead to 12, make them fight like hell to take that 12 point lead to 15 or get it back down to nine. Don't let 12 just instantly go to 18. Right. I guess, I mean, that's, that's kind of the way I'm looking, I'm looking at it tomorrow. Like give me something to go. Yep. The season didn't go the way we wanted it, but if you know, they, they acquitted themselves, you know, admirably against the best team in the conference. Maybe. Are there any specific things you're looking for? Like, do if they if they do da 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 woods to make a layup. Ooh, against can get, Houston. Can we get a prop bet? 0.5. Micah Adams <laughs> Woods made layups tomorrow. I'll take. I think he'll get one. I think he'll get one. That, well, that would raise his shooting percentage over the last three <laughs> games if he got that one. So. Two for two for twenty over the last three. <laughs> that, that is that is hard, man. <laughs> it's not easy to do. It's not easy to do, especially when you get as many shots around the rim as he's gotten. 
There you go. A little breakdown on the two teams. What, what is that? So that has that prediction has it as like an a a twelve point eleven Ruff, point roughly sixty one to seventy two and a half. Yeah, eleven point spread, eleven and a half points. Eleven eleven point five is what that would have. The if number. it comes out at eleven point five, as Pat McAfee would say, hammer down. <laughs> hammer down. I don't know. I think those I, are actually rankings. I don't. It says team. Oh, rankings. team rankings. They okay. haven't. They haven't actually announced the spread. Oh, I thought yet. that was like a score prediction. No, they haven't. They haven't announced the spread yet, and they haven't announced well, no, the, the spread. Uh, won't be out till tomorrow. But I thought that was later like tonight. A, I thought those that was like one of those like simulated type things where we think this this is what the score is going to be. No, it just says team rankings there. Oh, okay. I, I think eleven and a half might not be. If it was 14 and a half in Houston, that's what I'm saying. 11 and a half neutral, like you just take three points away, right? Like that's what you're supposed to do. Well, that three is like a football thing. I don't know what it is for basketball. It, probably similar. Two, three, like let's say it's 12 and a half. Hammer down. I think I, I think it's I think it ends up being closer than 12 and a half, Dave. Mm-hmm. You, you want to bet me? <laughs> I no, I don't gamble. Duh. <laughs> Terrible at it. <laughs> Although I did say I thought Houston was going to be be closer than people thought. Or SMU, I mean. Yeah. I thought SMU was going to be that closer one was, than that was That one was right on the... Uh, I think that right one on the number. was pretty much right on the number. There was a, Wasn't there like a basket very late that... Yeah. Swung it or something. Yeah. So it was it was pretty close to the number. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I, I for some reason I think they play well tomorrow, and I I do think like Houston's kind of struggling. Oh, yes, Aaron. I believe that basket was a layup by none other than Micah Adams. Oh, it, I, <laughs> that's right. It was. It was his just, only just basket saying. of the game. I, I thought, you're right. I thought that the, was worth mentioning. End. To take what an eight point lead to six and, and bust the seven and a half point spread. Totally worth mentioning right. there. I think that's right. I think that's no. I think that's right. And I woke up the next morning being like, oh, I'm glad I didn't play that one. That I think it was a rebound, like a wasn't it a weak side rebound that he put back up and in right in the in the closing seconds. <laughs> pertinent, very pertinent. Turning the uh, uh, sports wagering podcast. I mean, you're a sports wagerer. I'm sure there's plenty that are listening. So yeah, I'm a very, it, very sporadic. I don't, yeah, I don't, but it's still something you do. I know. I only go in when I really feel confident. Um, confident, not. I guess not confidently. Right. Is is Houston the, as we wait for Austin? Is Houston the best team in the conference right now? No, or not Houston. I mean Memphis. Sorry. Yes, they've what ten, ten in a row, twelve of thirteen, something like that. I saw them as like a projected nine seed. I, no one seed wants to see them. No, I mean the problem, like, I. 
if they are in that eight nine game, like that's a nightmare. That's that's UC getting his UCLA in the eight nine game. That's what I, I thought. That's what I just thought about. That's like the underachieving UCLA team with three or four, four pros on it. Undefeated Wichita State getting Kentucky in the eight <laughs> nine game, right? Like that. That's that's a nightmare. No matter how good you are, they have as talented a roster as anybody in America. So. And yeah. they were just, and I mean, all the all the credit, man. They were a mess. Oh, they were dead in the water in November and December. Like it was yeah. a, a disaster. And then they they settled down. The young guys started getting along with the old guys, and you know, that's how it happens sometimes. Where's your boy at? I don't know. I'm, he said he was on his way home. Okay. He like he worked the, the hours that those dudes work at PFF are nuts. I just think they just sit. They just stay there like all the time, just watching, watching tape, watching tape. games. Yeah. Why? Why wouldn't you? Like yeah. you've got access to the the all twenty two and yeah. He said th- three minutes. Okay. <laughs> like that, you'd just hang around, wouldn't you? You'd never leave. No, of course not. You, you'd be divorced, <laughs> paying child support. <laughs> totally yeah, worth it. Yeah, I don't know how. That, that's definitely a young man, young single man's uh, for sure gig right there. For sure. But uh, you know, got a got a lot to. It's, it, we got a lot of dudes to talk about, so you do. Hopefully, get some get some good combine stories. Now that all the all the uh, you know teams and media could be back and mingling at bars and restaurants until so they I'll have Austin talk about it. But there's a bar restaurant in Indy that apparently somehow. Steakhouse turns bar just can stay open serving beers until 6 a.m. And like, is it the is it, it the cocktail place? What's the, or the the shrimp cocktail? No, it's not St. Elmo's. It's it's okay. Prime. Wow. But uh, and then I guess so they Deion they, Sanders owns it. They give out Uncrustables at the end of the night. <laughs> but yeah, so just my my daughter's bit like she's been on a hunt. She's now big into the Nutella ones, the hazelnut yeah. oh, okay. uncrustables. I'm a, I'm a traditionalist. I, I just do peanut butter and jelly. I did that yesterday for lunch. Peanut yeah. butter and jelly is delicious. Very strong. Very strong. Just on some some regular old ass white bread. But but yeah, so we'll uh anything uh before he before he jumps on, anything anything combine related that, that came to your mind? No, and he's here, so Oh, there he is, dancing in the background. How's it going, fellas? Awesome. Great, man. How are you, dude? Busy, man. I apologize for showing up. Why? What's going? What's going on right now, dude? Working on this big Aiden Hutchinson project. Oh yeah, you got the Hutchinson podcast. Yeah, working with Aiden and his family, and and I just got off a forty-five minute call with like the voice of Michigan radio. It's it's been a crazy Dan Dan Deardorf. Not Dan Deardorff, his partner, his partner, <laughs> uh, Jim, hi, or like Brandstad, right? Yeah. It was awesome. 
it's been an insane experience, man. We are putting in the hours. I think we're over 40 interviews in. I talked to Harbaugh for 30 minutes, talked to his wow. dad for an hour and a half. It's, it's been an awesome, awesome project. Like unbiased, uh, you know, coming to the draft for as long as I have, this is going to be one of the more insane pieces of content to come out on number one overall pick in a long time. Cause it's, it's been, uh, it's been, it's been quite the, quite the journey. Or, or before we get into the UC stuff, I was going to, are we there? Are we, are we Cam Robinson 120%? What the hell are you doing? Aiden Hutchinson's now the number one pick. So I, I do lean where the markets are leaning, right? Betting markets have him, I think, minus 300 to be the number one overall pick. He was plus 750 in Indianapolis. And I, betting's legal in Indiana, and I put an unlawful amount of money on plus 750 Aiden Hutchinson. <laughs> overall and i feel really good about it i feel really good about where the markets have gone in addition to the cam robinson franchise tag everything i'm hearing from in the from the combine is they're also locking into one of the big name offensive tackles available in free agency i think you could you could figure out who that name is and i think the jacksonville jaguars are really going to double down and adding like maintaining cam robinson and then potentially adding a veteran piece as well instead of oh that if that happens then i mean his his betting prop will will go down huge. I mean, like, yeah. there's no, what else would they do? That's, that's where my head's at. I think the only like dark horse value play from there would be Hamilton or Thibodeau, but I, I, I haven't found a single person yet. That's even considering them at number one overall picks. Some people like Jordan Davis. I do think sauce, that, sauce, maybe, maybe sauce. I think sauce, sauce for sure. And we'll get into more. Oh, we're, we're going, we're about to get into that now. I'm about, I'm about to cut, put you on the hot seat right away. Well, first, of your- first off, everybody, Austin Gale, pro football focus, Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, guys. So, Dave, it's all you. I'm gonna. Dave's gonna have his way with you here for your, a while. Your boy, your boy Mike, over. that you do the tailgate podcast with. I saw mm-hmm. today. Soft still CB three. I what what are like? We are obviously homers. This is a UC podcast. You're 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 not gonna convince anybody on this podcast that he is not CB one. Yeah. What are we missing? So I, I I will say this, he is CB3, but all Trent McDuffie, the Washington cornerback, Derek Stingley Jr., and Ahmad Garner, all top 10 players on PFS draft board, I believe. Right. I think that's where Mike has them now. It's a very close race, right? It's not this monster gap between any of these three. And I do think that where I'd have them, what Mike has them right now, Stingley, McDuffie, at Gardner, I'd probably lean Gardner, or no, Stingley, Gardner than McDuffie. That's where my head's at. I do think that Stingley is still the CB1 for me. The concerns with Stingley, from what I've heard talking to NFL personnel, some scouts, some people in Indianapolis, some other media, the concern is that he's not a player that wants to play through injury. He's not an alpha dog. He's not this trash talker that people want cornerbacks to be in today's NFL, right? He's not this Jalen Ramsey type, but he's one of the most athletic players I think we've ever seen. And he's a guy that, you know, yes, did not play well and battled through injuries for the last couple of years of his LSU career, but had, I think, the best true freshman season oh, we will ever see from a quarterback. It was, it was awesome, but like from my standpoint, just not as a UC fan, as a draft, you know, person. I'm like, is that who he is now? Yeah. And no. Can, and, and, can you take that in the top ten? Because a lot of that would be projection. hoping that we get back to that point versus something that we've seen get continuously better for three years. That is six three, you know. Yeah, speed, size, the arm length is is absurd. You know things of that nature. Do you think that's where the league sees it versus like how the fans and the draft media sees it? 
No, I do think the league will be lower on Derek Stingley Jr., the LSU quarterback, than probably a lot of media, especially Mike, who sees him as this top five player. I, there's a good chance he falls outside the top 10, right? I would be stunned to see him get past the Jets there at 10 if they don't pick uh, Ahmad Sauce Gardner there at number four. But I, I do think that there's a chance, right? Because he's there, he's quite simply going to be off teams' boards. Or, or you know, some some teams from, from either a character perspective or an injury perspective or lack, lack of production will just remove them from their boards in terms of selecting him in the first round. So I don't necessarily I don't necessarily dis I'm not in disbelief of the league and how they view them. It's just right now I do feel that Stingley for me is still CB1. And I am banking on that projection that he can return to that stardom now. He's right ahead of Mod Gardner. I think Sauce Gardner is the number two cornerback in this class. I was not wildly impressed impressed with what McDuffie did at the combine. Yeah, it was good, but it wasn't otherworldly good, especially for a cornerback that has sub 30 inch arms. That concerns me, right? There's only a handful of quarterbacks in the NFL that have sub 30 inch arms and play on the outside. Now, could he be this Asante Samuel Jr. type, this guy that is a better athlete, in my opinion, than Asante Samuel Jr., and finds ways to stick on the outside in the right scheme? Absolutely. But he was a late first round pick. Yeah, exactly. I, I think I think for me, I have a mod uh, or Sauce Gardner ahead of McDuffie, and I would take. I don't think Sauce Gardner gets past the Jets at ten. I don't, and I think he could go earlier. I, I think he could go to the Giants at seven. Like I really do think Gardner is a lock for the top ten. So m- most impressive thing you either saw from him, heard about him, like buzzworthy stuff, or just like your personal opinion, like when you at the combine. What, what jumped out to you the most? I mean, we know we've seen the tape. Mm-hmm. We've seen all the stats, no touchdowns, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. But, like, combine-specific, what jumped out to you? So, yeah, obviously that stat is super impressive, right? Not allowing a touchdown in his college career is something that PFF has mentioned a thousand times. And I think what he did specifically in man coverage against really talented receivers over the course of his career is impressive. And that's what teams covet, right? Teams covet man cover corners, guys that can stick it out and press and win in isolation. And that's what Ahmad Garter did. And you saw Alabama literally put a game plan together that limited him from doing just that. And that, in my opinion, is the utmost respect to what Sauce Gardner is capable of. And I think the buzz in Indy, and I was talking to Dan Horde, the voice of the Cincinnati Bengals, the voice of the Bearcats there, he has been so impressed with how much Ahmad Gardner has grown as a person and has grown as a personality and how much confidence he has added. I'm sure you guys could speak to that too, right? Seeing how much he's grown over the course of his Bearcats career, just in personally, like how he presents himself. And I think that's going to help him a ton as he goes into the NFL. I, I, I do think, again, he's a top 10 player. The film is fantastic. He's a physical corner, which has caught him a bit. I mean, he's been penalized more than some of the other cornerbacks in this draft class for sure, but I think it's a physicality, a level of athleticism that meets a threshold that teams will 100% buy into. And that really, like, that stuff was more his freshman and sophomore year. Just, like, no one even really threw at him last year to to try. I mean, there were games – there were some games in the middle of the season where we would go into it, you know, previewing a game and be like, is this team really just going to like not bother? Like you have good wide, you have what we think are good wide receivers. Are you just going to not bother throwing to his side? And, and they didn't. And, and was, just like, you're just, Alabama. You're just giving up half the field, like right out of the shoot. And it's like, okay, like, you know, I know he's good, but like just wasn't even really challenged a lot, especially in, in conference play. Here's one I think you haven't heard, Austin. (laughs) I don't think I'm I'm told a team asked him in the interview process at the combine, what would you say if we told you Derek Stingley was ahead of you on our draft board? And 
Sauce's reply was something along the lines of, I'd tell you that you're making a huge mistake. Wow. Wow. That's the type of confidence he has, though, man. And that's what you want to – I mean, you're talking about Derek Stingley, right? And you hear these things that teams don't like him because he's not this alpha corner and he doesn't – you know, he doesn't show up with this confidence, doesn't play through injury. He's not this, like, dog or whatever it is. Sauce, Sauce is, is the dog. exact opposite, right? Like, <laughs> Sauce is – for those teams that want a dog, those teams that want an alpha, a guy that's going to wear everything with his chest, that's what he has. And then he has the production to boot, the athleticism thresholds. He's checking all these boxes to a point where, again – he is a top 10 player. Like he's a top 10 pick in, in, a, in a draft where the Jets have two of the top 10 picks. I don't see how he gets past them twice. Wasn't, wasn't the 4 4 1 the final, the final question about him? Yeah, honestly, the speed was the final question. And call it a fast track in Indianapolis all you want. Like, I, I think that's, that's fine to say. And I've talked to some trainers that trained a handful of the players at the combine. They do feel that the new turf that they put in Indianapolis in 2020, which we didn't get to see until 2021, that had a factor, whatever. You still got to run fast, though. Exactly. You still have to run fast. And there are a handful of scouts there that are clocking those times and still believing and buying into those times. And I am a believer, man. I am a believer. And maybe there was some weight concerns, too, right? He's a longer cornerback. Some people wanted him to clear the 195-200 mark. I am completely fine with the way he showed up at, not in the 180 range at all. That is so impressive for him. Again, so much of the pre-draft process, because the tape is done, you know, the tape is over. Is just checking these boxes. How long are your arms? How big are your hands? How fast are you? Let's check these boxes, check these boxes. And if you continue to do so, interview process being a big part of that, injury, you know, injury, medical checks being a big part of that, you check all those boxes. It's not necessarily about elevating your stock. It's solidifying your stock. And I think people going in had this top 10 viewpoint. It just came down to what way is he showing up to Indy with? How does he handle the interview process? When we turn on the tape and show his bad place, how does he react? His good place. When we give him a mini hoop to shoot in, how does he react? And I think that's really been, he's really just checked all those, man. I haven't talked to a single person, a part of this process, who has felt he's had a single misstep. What do you think about his arms growing one, one and three-eighths inches since October, his wingspan? That uh, is just what maybe that's the skyline chili here in Cincinnati. I don't know what, what, what's, uh, what's putting that in there. But I, I, I'm well, he's not 20, sure. Austin. He's a baby. Exactly. That's another. It's point. very possible he's still growing at that size. <laughs> he is. He is. A, he's a special player, man. He's. He's. It's an unreal talent, and I think as young as he is, you're just buying into this development as much as he's improved. And I was talking to Luke Fickle a little bit about it at the Senior Bowl. I was like, man, yeah, we talked Desmond Ritter a bit. I'm sure we'll talk him too. But like, how much Sauce Gardner has improved physically, mentally, all that is just absurd. And I always call this out, and I don't know if you guys know this. I talk a lot about Cincinnati prospects specifically in this draft class because there are so many. I bring up 10 times out of 10 Brady Collins in that, co- in that strength and conditioning staff because what they have done to transform players is legitimately rare, not just in the group of five, but in the power five. I mean, the FBS. It, it is been absurd to see what they've turned players into uh, over the course of their career, specifically just adding bulk and adding adding size and just like churning out legitimate athletes that weren't five stars, right? That, that weren't like these like, prize gems coming out of different, you know, that we had offers from all these different places, right? He's turning three-star and four-star players into legitimate, legitimate grown athletes, which I don't think can be understated. One of the more valuable pieces of that program. Moving okay, to Dave, Desmond, Desmond Ritter, very interesting quarterback group as a whole. I think you ask 10 different guys, they probably have 10 different orders. What were you hearing about him? He, he seemed obviously he tested well. We knew he was going to test well. He's, you know, an athletic guy, especially held up against the other quarterbacks in the group. Um, 
what were you hearing about him? And do you think he could find his? I've kind of seen him as as a early second round guy. Do you think he could get into the first round? Kind of a it's kind of a fight between the scouts versus the coaches. Like the scouts will point out the flaws, the coaches will love the maturity, the winning the leadership, all those things. So it's kind of depends on what team it is. Do the coaches have more say or do the scouts have more say? Like what, what are you, what are you hearing with devs? I think that's a great way of honestly positioning it. Right. Cause I do think any coach you talk to feels that they can win with Desmond Ritter and it raises the floor of their offense. And it's one of the quarterbacks they fall in love with in this class because they know what they can do with him. Right. He's not as much of a projection as Malik Willis or some of these other players. He's a guy with, a lot of experience, a lot of winning experience, and obvious translatable skills, right? Are they perfect? Are these these high-ceiling traits that maybe some of these other guys have in terms of the rocket arm and all that stuff? Maybe not, but you know what he's going to be in the NFL or largely know what he's going to be in the NFL. Will he ever reach the ceiling that people think Malik Willis can hit or even Sam Howell can hit? Probably not, but what he is right now is very good, and I think what he is right now compared to what the other quarterbacks are right now is the best, and if you're looking for the best quarterback right now, it is Desmond Ritter. If you're looking for the best quarterback in five years, it's hard to say. That's why this quarterback class is so difficult. And I think scouts and evaluators and decision makers ultimately push him to, at best, the back end of the first round. I've mocked him to the Detroit Lions at 32 if they pass on quarterback there at two overall. But top of the second round, he does fit into this tier where you can win with that quarterback. And that's an investment you can get behind and compete with, right, and give opportunities in the NFL. I'm, I've grown on Desmond Ritter as a prospect the more I've watched him and the more I've talked to him. I've talked to him at the Senior Bowl. I've had him on my own podcast, talking to Coach Fickle about it, talking to Dan Horde about him, talking to people who've talked to him in the NFL. You come away more and more impressed the more you dig into his character and dig into his tape and dig on now his athleticism, what he showed at the combine was special. It's so much easier, in my opinion, to talk yourself into Desmond Ritter than it is some of these other guys. I think the more you talk about Malik Willis, the more you start to kind of talk yourself out of it, right? The more you talk to Sam Howell, you talk yourself out of it. With him, it's just obvious what you're getting. And I think that certainty is something that teams will latch onto to a point where I do think he's ultimately a top 50 pick. Yeah, I mean, I feel like when he gets into the interview process and then he leaves, everybody in the room can look at each other and go, this is the guy that we would feel comfortable leading our franchise. And maybe you've got to put the best pieces around him. Maybe he's not an elevator. He needs help to, uh, to elevate, but like, like as a Bengals fan, I'm hoping the Steelers draft Malik Willis because I'm like, well, the next two years, I feel pretty good about like the Bengals capitalizing on this current situation that they're in. Now Willis might be great in a few years, but like, he's not, re- I don't think he's ready to go and start right now. So I'm like, yeah, go ahead do that. Cause like we've got Burrow in, on the rookie deal and everything like, do that but i feel like and i feel like des is a prime candidate for the old trade back up into the first round to grab the fifth year option um type of situation and it could be it could be a decision that the colts make right without a quarterback obviously now and no first round pick maybe they mortgage some of their future to go get a guy like desmond ritter rather than waiting for you know carson strong or bailey zappy in this class with malik willis i will say i know i said it's hard to talk yourself into him and the more you dig into his tape the more you understand like just how far away he is from like quarterbacking well you talk to anybody in indianapolis man this guy blows the doors off the interview process and they everyone just can't the biggest question is is how the hell did arvin let him go that's 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 right like why wasn't why wasn't he playing to it really doesn't make sense it really doesn't like it's not it's not a character thing no no i think it's just a uh 
Gus Malzahn to Hugh Freeze offensive philosophy now coming into the NFL. Like, how long do you have to to bring that along? And now there's this growing surge in people believing that the Detroit Lions can take him at two. And I'll be honest, I don't think if he makes it past two, he gets past the Carolina Panthers at six. Like, that ceiling, that projectable ceiling with, combined with, it's a hell. It's a hell of a drug, man. We it's it's, it's insane. And, you guys but, talk about it. We say it every year, and then without fault, the quarterbacks just go, man. They just yeah. go. Yeah, and, and it's just that it's that ceiling, right? Paired with just an objectively awesome person, like an awesome personality, right. and someone that you want to coach. Like, and I think I've had a lot of discussion on my podcast recently about like this thing of coachability, right? And I think. Someone you call uncoachable, I do think can sometimes be guys' language for someone you don't know how to coach. You know, I think that's where a lot of this has been with Kayvon Thibodeau. Kayvon yeah. Thibodeau, I don't think, is uncoachable. Kayvon Thibodeau is a complex person to coach. Bus aren't, aren't always the player's fault. Like Exactly, exactly. A lot of it is situation. That's why you worry about Malik Willis going to the Panthers at six where there's a lot of concerns in what they have on offense. There's a lot of concerns with what Matt Rule has put together, already firing an offensive coordinator under his tenure. Like, there's a lot of concerns with him going to Carolina. There's there's a higher percent chance that Malik Willis busts if he goes to Carolina than he does if he goes to Pittsburgh. I'll tell you that yeah. right now. Oh, like, that's sure. a fact situation. You talk to talk to so many other quarterbacks that have played in the NFL. Zach Robinson, who's now a coach with the Los Angeles Rams. J2 O'Sullivan, who has a really successful YouTube channel. Uh, Jordan Palmer. Bruce Gretkowski situation 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 it's the it's the premier piece of developing a quarterback i always say you don't draft a justin herbert you don't draft a joe burrow even or even a trey lawrence you build it you build a josh allen you build a justin herbert with how you develop that player and how you maintain consistency on the sideline and how you add talent on the offensive line these talents in the nfl that are obviously are like justin herbert had these talents way above what people expected but he wasn't drafted highly because they, you know, people really maybe didn't understand what they could turn him into. And obviously the Chargers have done more than that. Oh, yeah. Do you think there's team specific that fit Des, you know, better than obviously better than others, but like one particular that I I want him to go as high as possible just because I want good things for him. But like I would love to see him go to Atlanta because mm-hmm. I feel like that would be a great situation for him to be behind Matt Ryan for at least a year and be in Arthur Smith's offense. I think the way Arthur Smith coaches quarterbacks, utilizes tight ends, understands the run, the quarterback run game would be a great spot for him to go. No, I think so too. I think the people I've talked to in Indianapolis don't feel Atlanta will lock into a quarterback at eight, but he could be a guy that, you know, you get at the top of the second round, right? I think that's where I think Atlanta's is fit going somewhere where you can sit behind someone. I think in this class is smart right now. I still think that, the NFL has done a lot better job of adapting their system. You know, offensive coordinators adapting their system to the strengths of their quarterback to a point where this idea of like sitting right. isn't necessarily as important, right? Because back in the day, you draft a quarterback and he's playing in your system, the system that the starting quarterback's already playing in. You're now drafting a quarterback and you're like, we're going to change our entire offense to make sure that he can win. Like, like, the, like the Ravens. Jackson, like the Ravens. I think the Bills have done that with Josh Allen. Chargers are doing that with Justin Herbert. I mean, hell, the, the Chiefs are doing that with Patrick Mahomes, right? You you are not – you don't have an offense that your quarterback comes into and plays with. You have a quarterback that you need to build an offense around. Well, I mean, just, just look at the Bengals. They run more empty than pretty much anybody, and that's because exactly. Joe Burrow wants to run empty. Exactly. Offensive so, yeah. line problems be damned. Like, that's what he wants to run. 
Steelers. You know, ben, Big Ben doesn't want to run play action. Steelers have the lowest play action rates of the last 10 years, right? Like, you, you build an offense that your quarterback can win within. And um, I think, I think, I do think, you know, 10, 20 years ago, you know, teams were more adamant about drafting a player that fit into their system and less adamant with the quarterback position specifically saying, hey, if we draft him, our offense becomes this, this, and this. Or if we draft him, it becomes, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I think that's honestly where teams that are drafting quarterbacks now, people are like, why are they playing so early? Is that bad? Can they do that? I think it can be bad if the offensive line is to a point where they're going to develop bad habits or get really hurt. But I think it's ultimately a net positive if you are catering an offense to their skill set. Now, that's not what Jim Nagy did and the Chicago Bears did with Justin Fields. That offense was absurd and did not play the skill set that Justin Fields had. And the offensive line was bad. You compare that to, you know, Mac Jones and the New England Patriots, it's exactly what he needed, right? It's exactly what he needed. Alec Pierce. I, I, I don't think Jim Nagy would like you tying his name to that mess in Chicago. Oh, I meant Matt Nagy. <laughs> Matt Nagy. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't want that to get back to Jim. No, he probably smart, wouldn't have been smart. happy with you. Al, Alec Pierce was the, was the tester that we all expected him to be. How high of a rise do you think – he can get out of that and and just kind of your your take on what you saw in Indianapolis. It's a significant, I don't know if it's necessarily a significant rise, right? Just because I think anyone who watched Alec Pierce's tape knew he was going to test that well. The thing with risers and fallers and winners and losers with the combine is it's it's really a media narrative, right? It's media oh, sure. catching up, it's media catching up to the class and all that stuff. With Alec Pierce. Everyone knew what Alec Pierce was capable of from an athleticism perspective. It's what, what matters to me is what are you going to play him at? You know, I, I think a vertical offense where he's running hitches, goes and slants, it's money. You know, running the DK Metcalf route tree is what Pierce will do in the NFL and do at a really high level. Not a lot of offenses have that role in their team. You know, and not a lot of teams have that role in their offense, though, right? Or they have someone filling that already. I think it'll definitely be a. It's not as simple. And I think this is another thing that the media can create. It's, it's not as simple as like, okay, you have a receiver rankings of your top ten receivers. When the ninth best receiver is left, you take him if you need one. It's not him. Right. You need <laughs> you need to take receivers that fit into your offense and are going to run route trees that you need that you have holes for. Right? You're not going to ask Alec Pierce to run the same route tree, say, of Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson. Like he's just he's not that type of receiver. He's still really talented, but where he's going to succeed the most in the NFL is running slants, goes, hitches, that comebacks, that vertical route tree where you're limiting what he's doing horizontally and you're just really attacking straight line type of stuff. Yeah. And the team that invests in him to do that, whether that's – and that's going to be somewhere in day two. I don't think he makes it to day three. That would be absurd. Uh, that's going to be a successful piece, right? It's going to be a successful piece complementary to what's already going to have to have, you know, a number one receiver, a guy that can command, you know, that 10-plus targets a game. For sure, and and it's not worth nothing. The special team, like he'll come in and be your gunner right away, and and block his ass off. So it, you know, when you're looking at filling out your wide receiver room, those things for a wide receiver coach do not go unnoticed. So I'm sure that'll that'll help him out as well. Um, Kobe Bryant. It was an interesting one for me. Just that, I, he, speed was never his game. But it had to be a little concerning when everybody's running fast and and he runs like a four five four, which isn't terrible, but like I said, everyone was running fast. So do you like what does that mean for him and his draft position? Does it hurt him a lot? Does it just make teams kind of go back and, and rewatch tape? Like what what do you think that that does for him? I, I think it will teams will go back and watch tape. I think um his tape is is very there's a lot 
to watch, right? Because Ahmad Gardner got the Namdi Asamoah treatment and that no one was throwing to his side, you have a lot of opportunities to see how he plays the ball in phase and and how he you know he plays you know and he was you know that um, Jim Thorpe Award winner for a reason, right? I mean he he handled that really well. Is he the same prospect that Ahmad Gardner is? No, but still a, still a capable player that's really battle tested. And talking to Dane Brugler of the Athletic. A lot of teams, you know, scouts covet guys that get get their hands on the ball and have ball production at that position. It's something that he had at a high rate in terms of the targets that he had, and also just overall net volume. So I do think that there are going to be teams attracted to his skill set. Is he you know, with with cornerbacks coveted highly in the draft? They have to have athleticism, change of direction to be scheme versatile. Is he that kind of athlete? No. Um, and that will limit him, right? That'll limit him in the viewpoint of a lot of NFL teams. I was going to say, what what scheme and what are you know what are some of the teams that you think would fit him the best? I mean, I think there's opportunities potentially playing a man heavy scheme, maybe in the slot, right? I mean, I, I think that's where kind of I could see it happening. If he sticks on the outside, I still think man coverage, you know, single high type of defenses, they're few and far between now. Is you know more of the Brandon Staley two high seam takes over, but I do think in the single high, you know, running cover three, running cover one, kind of consistently. I so think sticking, he, sticking here in Cincinnati. Yeah, maybe sticking here in Cincinnati. <laughs> I think that would be a good fit for sure. Kind of two guys. We'll, we'll tie these guys together for for kind of the same reason. We had we saw Myjay Sanders, who appears to have been pretty darn sick, leading yeah. up to the 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 seat or to the combine where he weighed in at two twenty eight and just did not look from a physical standpoint anywhere like he did all year and then today he puts out a, a, a tweet where he's already back up to 247 so what i mean what was kind of the reaction to that because i mean it was kind of buzzworthy on twitter like he looks like a wide receiver like and then you could just tell like his explosion numbers weren't good he yeah he, did, he ran okay but not for someone that was weighing 228 like how important now is his pro day after what happened in indy you know, out of what seems to be no fault of his own. I mean, it's massively important. And when you ask me what the reaction was, it's, I mean, to be honest, not good. I mean, people love MyJ Sanders, love what he did at the senior bowl. He was, he was stacking guys up in the run game and, and showed up at a good weight. And there were a lot of really positive things coming out about MyJ Sanders at the senior bowl. Then you show up to the combine 228 pounds. That immediately starts to raise questions. Is he sick? Was that weight all water? What, what was what was going on? And and then you start to ask questions. And this is my biggest question. Is one of the reasons I was excited to get on with you guys. Is like, why did he test? You have all these. You have all these guys. If he's sick, what's going on? You you when you first saw the weight come out, you say, okay, he's going down to two twenty eight to run a four three. Like, is he is he trying to cut weight so his testing shows off the roof and then adding back weight or whatever? And then when he doesn't even test up to expectation. Then you're like, he has to be sick. And to have that come out after when you already have so many players opting out of testing for whatever reason, that's so not negatively viewed compared to testing poorly and showing up at a low weight. I, I do have a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions to the agent, you know, letting him test. I have a lot of questions on how sick he was and, and is he healthy now? Or should he even be prioritizing his pro day? But you, know, you can't drop and add 20 pounds like that healthily. Right. I mean, there's there was a lot of concern and like he's one of my favorite players in this class. I mean, his tape is fantastic. He's grown so much as a pass rusher. He's a top 50 player, in my opinion, going into this year. And I felt good coming out of the senior bowl that he'd still be that. Now there are more questions than answers. You left Indianapolis 
with a lot of questions. So, I mean, I, I kind of want to turn it back to you guys. What, what do you know about the situation? Because it's a player that I'm obviously a huge fan of and, and came out of Indianapolis just with a lot of question marks. I say this half-joking. But dropping 20 and adding 20 from IJ is second nature. Really? Like, it, it, he when he came back from quarantine – he was down in that 225, 230 range. He just, I think he has such a high metabolism that weight is like a sear, like he has to be dialed in on keeping himself up above 250, 260. Wow. Because I, I think he just, when he goes home, like, you know, you're not drinking the protein. Nobody's making you a protein shake twice a day and, you know, you're not getting the meal table. Like maybe you're you're eating well, but you're not eating enough calories. And his body, what for whatever reason, reacts yeah. wildly to that. The last person I remember at UC, uh, and you probably, uh, you might remember, but Tion Green was like that the other way. Tion Green would go home for a weekend and come back 15 pounds heavier. Wow. Like, how, how did you do that, dude? Like, <laughs> like with my J, his body, I just think he has to have such an, an intense focus on adding weight because his, his metabolism is his personality. Yeah. It's relentless. It's nonstop. It's, you know, insatiable, if you will. Mm -hmm. And when he isn't able to do that in a, in a sickness for even a couple days. Yeah with him is something where he just sees 15, 20 pounds fall off of him. But then five days later, it's back. Yeah. Like that's the wild thing with him. Uh, Austin, he came to Cincinnati, I think at 208. That's insane. And by the end of higher ground, which was like six weeks after he got to campus, he was in the two forties. So in six weeks, he gained 40 something pounds as a freshman. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just been something they've struggled with with him throughout the process because if he lets his foot off the gas at all, mm -hmm. he's back down to 225, 230. And my reaction to that, honestly, is that teams coming away with that answer to the weight, not necessarily concern, but the weight situation, will say, okay, we'll keep the gas pedal down and let's move. Now, what we need to see and what teams will want to see Okay, let's get back up to that weight, Maje, and let's test as we expected, right? Let's see right. these these. I athletes. think he fully plans to do that. Yeah, right. And I'm, I mean, I mean that, that's why his pro day is one of the bigger pro days, in my opinion. I mean, what he did at the Senior Bowl being 242, but still having like so much power. I mean, he was knocking yeah. dudes around, especially like he impressed me the most at the Senior Bowl in the run game more so than in the pass game. Like he was setting the edge big time and blowing up tackles on run plays at 242. Like his his weight to power is, is not a problem for someone that size. And I, you know, Chad and I would talk like, I'd like to see him up in the two fifties or else you're probably pigeonholed as a, you know, a situational pass rusher. And then he shows up at two twenty eight, and you're like, you're not even like a draftable defensive player. Yeah. At six, five, two twenty eight. Like there's no way that like, that's the thing to me, like knowing him, I was like, there's no way that this was intentional. No, like, it, no one I told him to do that. Not at all. I mean, 228 is literally the lowest any edge defender has ever showed to the combine ever. Like dating back to like 1999. Right. Like it, it's not, it was not intentional. I think I, we all knew that. Like, I mean, my first reaction is like, is he going to go to safety or something? Like, I, that's, <laughs> that's, that's small, small for, safety. That's a small, that's small for a linebacker. You know, it's like, oh, oh yeah. 
Okay, so uh, there were some initial like jokes in that area or whatever, but it obviously wasn't intentional. My, again, my questions go back to the Asian, like why are you testing if you're down that much weight and, and you're sick? Like it doesn't, you have so many players there where the precedent is set and you don't need to test, right? If you right, have- that's the thing is like, I don't think the teams necessarily were like, hey, way to, way to fight through it and test. Like if you're not gonna, if you're not gonna give your, be able to give your best effort for whatever reason, yeah. just don't put a number out there because- yeah. It's almost like the Kenny Pickett hand size thing. Like, yeah. Yeah. just get it out of the way, mm-hmm. and then it, it stops being a t- discussion point. But then when Maje goes out there and does what he does, now you get everybody asking, "Well, why did this happen?" Yes, Jamison Williams shows up there at 178 pounds, and everyone's like, "Oh my gosh, that's super light for a receiver." And he's like, "Dude, I haven't been able to rehab. I lost a lot of weight in my legs, and I'm not testing because of that." It's like, yeah, like I don't. Well, get no, one, no one's got concerns with Jamison Williams right now. I'll tell you that. I, I, I you haven't that. lifted with my legs since you know the the national championship. Plus, like, plus what do you think I'm going to weigh? But yeah, the plus the other part of this too, right? Is like uh, I was talking to Jamari Salyer today, the the Georgia offensive tackle, who obviously he got a he didn't test at all, did he? Exactly. Only threw 31 up, 31 reps up on the bench and decided not to test because he said, Hey, I haven't had as much opportunity as everybody else to get to get the work in. I've been training to win a national championship, not training to run some combine drills. So he's gonna test at his pro day. I think they were honestly again, it comes back to the agent. I'm not blaming my J. Sanders for any of it, but it's a big pro day for him now. It's a oh, big it, pro day it's for him huge because yeah, I mean, there's he I mean what he's done and and you know you know the scouts get into it more than just the counting stats of of sacks and stuff but like i felt like he was very comfortably a second round guy and now i got no idea and i really i really don't know and it it's going to come back to the pro day right like he comes to the pro day and he puts up numbers that people expected i think you can maintain day two status but like if we don't see the script flipped this is a day three pro- prospect because you're just you're banking on a lot of unknown for sure. Right. Dar- Darian Beavers also cut some weight down to 237, but he looked fantastic at yeah. the combine. Did not run the 40, but was outstanding in like what the jumps. And then he did what he did the three cone or the one of the three cone of the short shuttle and, and was the leader of the linebackers. Starting at the senior bowl, he kind of proved that he wasn't just a two-down guy. He was locked in on all the tight ends and stuff at the senior bowl. Do you see him now more as that type of a player that can be used in coverage and and at a weight of, of 237 can really use his size and athleticism? Yes. I am a huge Darian Beavers fan. I, I, I want to talk to him. I haven't had an opportunity to meet with him. I want to see you know, where he, where, um, you know, what kind of what, what kind of voice he brings to the table because I'm a huge fan of him on tape, and I, I'm a we huge can fan. Arrange of him. that. Yeah, I like that, Chad. Help me out here. Help me out because his tape is fantastic. What he we did, arrange that. His three cone, absurd, right? Like it was. Was it six six nine one? Yeah, that sub seven three cone at two hundred thirty seven pounds, like. That's not easy to do, man. And people talk about, oh, can you do this in coverage? Three-cone drill, it's one of the more translatable things to any position in the NFL. Like, to see him have that at the way he did, it was a really impressive week. And I know there are a lot of teams that are similarly high on him as I am, right? I see him comfortably as a day-two player, a guy that you can – like, this linebacker class is very good. So he won't, he won't go probably as high as he would in other linebacker classes just because there's Dean, Lloyd, Muma, Brandon Smith at Penn State. You have Ch- Christian Harris, Alabama. There's a lot of really talented off-ball linebackers in this class. So he'll fall just because of that, just because of the depth. But, man, he can start right away. That's how I view him, right? He's got the size. He's got the athleticism. He's got the arm, he got the arm length. He's got what you want to start right away, which I don't think we've been able to say about a lot of day-two linebackers in, re- in previous classes. 
I think he kind of too showed that he can be more than just a three, four outside linebacker. Exactly. hundred so, percent. Which opened, then that was always that the thing. If, versatility, right? Like that versatility to rush the passer and all that stuff. I, that, that matters too, man. If like he was going to be in that 250 to 260 range, you figured, okay, you're going to be a stealer, a, a Patriot type guy at 237 yeah. with some coverage ability. Cause he, you know, I don't know if you know this, he went to UConn as a safety. Yeah. And then he did go to Utah, UConn as a safety. I didn't know that. Then moved down to defensive end because their team was so terrible, at, but still at like a super lightweight. And then when he got here, just shot up weight wise with again wow. with, with Brady. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, he's so he's got that athletic background. So I think dropping the weight, but showing the athleticism and the coverage ability kind of opened him up to an option for way more teams, which should help yeah. then help him rise up. And teams are going to jump on him. I mean, you're getting a starter. You're getting a legitimate starter on day two at off-ball linebacker. And one that I think has room to develop still in the NFL. Like, I think – and depending on the role you're playing in, and that's so much of what the linebacker position is, that's a massive piece of it, right? I think that's um, – I mean, I'm excited for Darian Beavers and the landing spot he goes to because I do think any team that does take him is going to get a guy that can start right away and, and develop into something big. So, the safety class – I'm a huge Brian Cook guy. I was I'm bummed he wasn't able to test just because of shoulder surgery. But it seems like he had a decent amount of buzz building even before that, once teams really got to start looking into the tape. His pro day is obviously going to be huge. What you know, what it, what are you guys seeing with him and, and what do you like about his game? I know a lot of people are high on Brian Cook. And I love his personality. I love his tape. I think I think he's a he's a thumper, right? I think he plays the game vintage in a lot of ways. I think for Brian Cook, for me, I want to see where he tests. The safety position, you need makeup speed. You need to react and, and all that. I think the testing will be key. But from a personality perspective and how he plays the game, his approach, that alpha dog mentality, which I think is a, main, is a mainstay in Cincinnati. It's a culture that's brewing, Chad, in Cincinnati over the past few years that I think they're going to latch on to. I think a lot of people will like Brian Cook. Does he? Is there a chance he sneaks out of day two potentially? But there are teams that are high on him, and and that's all it takes, right? When you talk about a player, where he's going to go, it just takes one. It just takes one to kind of pick him high, and I do think that they, he could ultimately be a third round player. I think he's another one that the coaches, yes, like he is. He's a dog, man. The coat the coaches are going like some DB coach or safety coach is going to like. The old cliche, I'm going to pound the table for this guy. Like, somebody's going to go, like, we got to have this guy on our team. Like, he – I guarantee you his agent had to tell him, like, you are not testing. Yeah, like, yeah. There is no – the way – as competitive as he is and as, as as times that he's gotten dinged and, and you think he's hurt and he comes right back out on the next awesome. play. Like, there were one of there the were, toughest dudes I've ever seen. There were five, at least five times this year when we got to practice on Tuesday, we fully expected, like, if we see Brian Cook on Saturday, we're not going to see him until Saturday, right? Mm -hmm. And there he was on Tuesday. Man. He, he, like, he just, like, he would be in on Sunday. He would be in on Monday. He would do every treatment that they would allow him to do. And, like, remember, this is a kid that that went to Howard as a corner. Like no recruiting profile out of high school. And Cincinnati saw his tape from Howard and went, this is like our guy. Cause I had to, I had to calm the fan base down on Brian cook. 
Why are we taking a no-star corner from Howard mm -hmm. as a transfer? What, what are we doing? We're like our profile is rising. What are we doing? And then you saw him play. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay. I'm I'm terrified of him. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you tell stories like that, and it's why I bring up the strength and conditioning staff. It's why I've shown so much praise and thrown so much praise on Luke Fickle and the other like hits that I've done. And it's just like this is legitimately unparalleled player development. It's honestly unparalleled player development that Cincinnati has. And some people will bill it as striking lightning in a bottle or, you know, getting lucky with a handful of transfers or recruits. This is a culture and this is a developmental program for players that is being built and maintained and sustained with fickle, with, Brady and just their approach to how they are nurturing and improving players. Now, does that mean every single player in the Cincinnati football program is going to develop an NFL talent? No, but it is going to lead to more draft classes like this, where they are turning no star transfers from Howard into guys that I've heard would take them in the second round, right? Like that, that that's absurd. Right. And again, it's just more testament to what this program is and what it's become. Last guy running back, Jerome Ford, uh, four, four, six, Okay, I guess pretty plenty pretty good. good enough for a running good back. enough for a running back. But I think the part that jumped out to me on the not great side were his explosion numbers. Yeah. Yes, thirty-one inch vertical, like nine foot something, um, broad, and we know he has like the long speed. I mean, we saw how many seventy, eighty yard touchdowns where he just dusted dudes. But those explosion numbers have to be worrisome for yeah. teams when it comes to running back. And again, it's not it's not this media speculation of a riser faller, right? This isn't a faller situation for Jerome Ford as much as it is a didn't check a box, right? You, you love his tape and you love all, I mean, a good example of like a non faller that did not have a good week in Indianapolis is Kyron Williams. Kyron Williams, Notre Dame has an impressive tape is a, is a high effort pass protector runs a four, seven, you run a four, seven, you're not playing running back in the NFL and you, you're playing running back in the NFL, but you have a lower percentage chance of hitting, right? And I know Jerome Ford ran a lot faster than that, but with these lack, not lackluster, but low-end explosives, teams will not check that box, right? He won't meet this threshold for a lot of teams. Some teams are only drafting running backs that are clearing a certain figure in those drills, and that's ultimately what leads to a slide, right? And it's not necessarily that he's falling down, but, you know, there are teams who do not draft offensive tackles who do not have 33-plus-inch arms, period. They won't. They're off the board. There are teams that won't draft quarterbacks if they have this knee injury or this, you know, whatever. They're off the board. And that's with Ford, right? It's not so much that he's falling. It's like, oh, man, I was going to – you know, teams are not saying, I was going to draft him in the third, but now after seeing that, I'm probably not going to draft him to the sixth. They're saying, okay, I really like his tape. I see him from a tape grade perspective as an X-round player. Oh, man, he didn't meet our threshold here. We're not going to end up having it on our board. And that ultimately, I think we'll get, get – him into this steel range, right? Where if he does fall to the back end of day three or wherever he ends up, I think there are going to be teams that get a good plus tape type of player. Right. It, it turns into the old like, oh, they got a running back at the end of the draft. So you can just get a running back anywhere when, you know, when some, but yeah, I mean, the, the thresholds, it's like, you know, you only have to run so fast, you know, Running faster than the threshold doesn't really help you. It just checks exactly. the box of like, this guy's fast enough. Or this guy, you know, like when you talk about Trent McDuffie and Roger McCreary, like the chances that you succeed as an outside corner when you have sub 30 inch arms, like here's the guys that have 
played there. None of them have carved out good careers. So, like, are you going to be the outlier? Yeah. You know. And those thresholds are real, right? Those thresholds are real. I think you made a good point there. I mean, it's it's you know you you look at the list of receivers that have run the fastest four yard times. You're like, where who are these guys? Right. Where are they even playing? John, John Ross. Yeah, it's not so much that you're the faster you go and all this stuff, you increase your percentile or percentage chance that you're going to be a hit in the NFL. It's so much that like literally there are six cornerbacks in the NFL that have played over 400 snaps at outside cornerback with under 30 inch arms. You are, you are, you have to be an outlier to have sub 30 inch arms and have success at outside cornerback in the NFL. There's similar thresholds for arm length at tackle, similar thresholds for arm length at linebacker, and there are similar thresholds and explosives. And you need to clear these things to give yourself and give historical data this percentage chance of hitting, right? And are there outliers? Absolutely. Do Braden Smith is one of the better right tackles in the NFL, and he has 32 and a half inch arms. Like that just doesn't happen. Jerome Ford, with the explosive he has, is going to have to be a legitimate outlier. Those guys get drafted in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, not the second or third round. Again, you're not checking enough boxes to feel all that confident in a floor, right? Feel all that confident in a floor in the NFL. All right, so – Super appreciate your time. Just want to get a couple more things from you. Of course. Without giving away the player's name. because What Dave's doing here, Dave, hold on. What Dave's doing here, Austin, is Dave's auditioning for a job at PFF. He'd like, he oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm way too old. I have a kid. I, I can't hang with these guys. This is a young single man's game. <laughs> after, the, after, the stories, after the stories from Indy, there's no way I could hang. Oh, my gosh. Don't get me started on Indy. But uh, – Without giving away the player's name, and maybe you can tell me later, what's what was like the craziest story you heard from this combine in the interview process? Like, do we have any Jakai Polites in this in this draft class? I don't think we have any Jakai Polites. I think it has been compared to previous classes. It has been a very like positive interview experience. I mean, I think the worst ones I've heard have been Stingley and Thibodeau. And they're not even like that bad, but like the perspectives from NFL teams are low, right? right? I, like Thibodeau, I came away with super impressed. Now is he everyone's cup of tea? And I kind of hinted like, is he coachable to everyone? No, right. There are like guys who've been in the NFL that only know how to coach like lunch pail, eat nails for breakfast types in the NFL. And they're like, I want a guy who loves football and like sleeps with the football under his pillow. It's like, <laughs> yeah, those guys are more coachable to you. Kayvon Thibodeau, isn't uncoachable or lack coachability he is different and that's gonna rub people the wrong way i mean do you remember the dean p's rant for the atlanta falcons oh yeah i still i still write everything down on paper everyone wants to use computers like okay kayvon thibodeau is not gonna be coachable to dean fucking p's okay (laughs) kayvon thibodeau has his own cryptocurrency kayvon thibodeau plays chess through his own discord channel for subscription revenue like he's different to these guys like DMPs. And that's going to, to some people, be blanketed with uncoachability. But what it really is, is he's different, and it's going to take an adaptation to how you coach players in the NFL to, to get the maximum amount of success out of him. And that's just a fact. And with Stingley, he has not done a lot of media in this process. And that has not like helped any perception of some of these rumors coming out that he's not an alpha and he doesn't play through injury or whatever. That, I do think, is not necessarily like hurting him, but... Teams well, really it, do value this. It, it allows a narrative to be built, even exactly. if it's even if it's not exactly. true. And, they, and it, people forget that it's like it's not as simple. It's not as simple as I build a board and I factor it. Like media builds a board with every player in mind. The media does not take players off their boards. 
teams do teams, right whether teams, it's scheme talk, scheme fit like scheme fit character injury talent talent athleticism all of it and talking to brady quinn uh former uh on the podcast in indianapolis he says more teams take players off their board for character than anything if you rub them the wrong way or they feel like you won't be a fit in their locker room you're done you're not not only are you not getting drafted in the first second third round you're not on their freaking board there well, yeah i mean like look player. at look at the bengals and what zach taylor it's all about team captain yes lead leadership yes. winning like they are drafting a very very specific type of player and that strategy and that strategy honestly like i don't have enough data to like not like counter it right like not, i don't have enough data to say like oh that's the wrong way to do it you should take stingley in, in the second round even if you disagree with his character say with Thibodeau, whatever like that but i do think that the fact of the matter is this is how teams currently view it right yeah. it's, it's medicals and it's it's the interviews you talk to anybody in indianapolis what's the most important this important part of this week i get to interview the player and i get to see if he's healthy that's it it's like yeah the testing would be great but i can get those numbers without being here the reason i'm here is to talk to him and to see what's going on with my doctor you know my team doctors like all 32 team doctors look at all players each individual doctor saying i saw this i saw this this doesn't look great it's going to take and that that again like legitimately like strips these boards down well, i mean yeah that's the thing like we as fans see the media mocks but and we look and we go why does this guy falling and, and it, all the teams might know yeah he's fine now but like he's got a knee issue that in three yeah. years yeah he, he might be done so don't draft him and we all look just look at his college table and like oh he's awesome why well, you know why is he falling so yeah. it's so it's so much deeper than that but your reaction to the Carson Wentz trade was was one of my favorite favorite things for this that's happened this week and just in general what like how do you explain that from the Redskins standpoint it's in my opinion an absolute reluctance to do everything you can and chase the shortest path possible to being Super Bowl competitive and instead and instead a decision to embrace mediocrity and a floor of success we underrate how much front offices coaches and owners and regimes don't want to bottom out you know it's easy for media and it's easy for me and it's easy for on the outside looking in to say tank this year lose every game and let's get a quarterback next year because that's how we get back to a super bowl when you got coaches coaching for their jobs and owners you know drawing in this revenue and 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 gms trying to make decisions you don't suggest that in the nfl right and i think it does it does make it unless you're the dolphins unless you're the dolphins unless you're the dolphins and that's <laughs> what we're unless, you're, unless you're willing to pay your coach 100 grand which, exactly it's, how, it's, is, how is that not like a thing that's being talked about still like well i'll tell you what that is one insane allegation and there's like no no talk about that yeah, I mean, I'll say this: it's uh, it's definitely the league is intentional there. I mean, the league the league is intentional with what they discuss in terms of ownership and their effect on, you know, you know, rigging games and stuff like that. My, and throw that out the window. I, I just don't. I just don't think. I think the assumed the assumed incentives or the assumed like, yeah, the assumed incentives for for teams and what they should be doing is just wrong sometimes. Like, there's some, you know, you talk to people around the Carolina Panthers organization. We signed Car- we signed. Christian McCaffrey because he sold the most jerseys 
there's some people who say that kind of like people think like, oh, every decision they make is trying to win more games. No, sometimes it's just to win as much games to keep their job. Sometimes it's just to make a little bit more money in season tickets. And I do think that's where some of the most befuddling moves, the ones that lead to some of the reactions I've had on my podcast are oftentimes the reason they're obscure to me is because I don't fully understand the rationale behind why they're making that decision. Because if you're going to tell me and get up to a press, a, pre, a, a, sta, a, a presser and say, trading a conditional second and a, and a third for Carson Wentz gets us to a Super Bowl quickly, you're wrong. Like you're just, it's not it. Like that is not. Well, don't don't leave out the taking on the $28 million contract. And taking on the $28 million contract. <laughs> like, again, it just like, this is a move that no one thinks looks good. The only people, and now it comes back to like ownership expectations, right? Did ownership say to the GM there with Washington and the coach Ron Rivera and say, if we don't win six games, you're out? Because then maybe I'm trading for Carson Wentz. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because then maybe I am trading for Carson yeah. Wentz. I'm not going to go sign, you know, Taylor Heineke back and, and, and bottom out. Like, if ownership says, if we don't win six games in the first year of the commander era, you're gone. It's like, then you go make a desperate move for a quarterback where you feel like you can at least get seven games out of, right? That's that's where like the concern is. Now, is that wrong by the owner? Yeah. Is that the first time an owner's made an obscure decision? No. You know, I think that's where my head's at for sure. I, I do think that I would not be surprised if ownership put pressure on the decision makers with Washington and said, hey, first year of the commanders, we cannot be the laughing stock of the NFL. We cannot win one or two games. We need to go out, win wow. six plus, seven plus. And at that point, it's like, yeah, we can do that with Carson Wentz. The Indianapolis Colts are saying, thank the Lord for your desperation. We're going to go try and reset and win a Super Bowl. That's right. So I'll get you out of here on this one. We appreciate your time. Bengals draft. Obviously, offensive line gets everyone's attention. Yeah. I've My feeling is that they're going to address it enough in free agency. What enough is, is open to interpretation that they – end up having a defensive heavy draft since they, you know, their defense is older, more guys on second contract need to start infusing some youth and lower money contracts since you have three pretty huge extensions coming up next year. Who are some guys you think fit them end of the first round? Could be offensive line, but, you know, offensive line or or defense. Yeah, I think I want to speak first to I think how I view their approach will be in free agency next week. I, I think they're going to key in on Ryan Jensen. They want to make that decision. I think they want to invest in that position. They want a center for Joe Burrow. I think they're also probably going to look to bring back Riley Reef. And I think they're also going to try and make a play via trade. Maybe Lael Collins now that he's being made available. Maybe Laramie Tunsil now that he's being made available. Like that's where I think their heads are going to be. That what does that do for Jonah Williams? We'll see. Maybe he moves to the right and Riley Reef becomes a swing tackle. Who knows? Riley Reef kicks inside the guard. They can do whatever they want. What they need to do is address the offensive tackle position with a veteran. What they don't need to do, in my opinion, I've seen some mock drafts of them going Bernard Raymond, the Austrian Central Michigan guy. They don't need to do that. They have a Super Bowl window. They need adults. They on need the offensive adults. line. They need adults. And now, Raymond's an adult. He's 25, but <laughs> one offensive lineman I see, or two offensive linemen, I don't see them passing on if they're there at 31, or any of the top three tackles. That's Linderbaum, Cross, um, Iquanu, and Neil. I don't see them passing on Linderbaum, and I don't see them passing on Zion Johnson. What is, what is your thoughts on, well, what about Kenyon Green? No. No. Kenyon Green's combine was dreadful. dreadful? I, I think, I think okay. he can be. Far and I would maybe that maybe the Bengals do it now. I wouldn't take him there though. I don't I don't like that pick. I, what about Tyler Smith? 
Tyler Smith of Tulsa, I think, is interesting. Now, that's a guy that's a project, though, man. I mean, guard, he's guard future tackle, possibly? I, think I would try him at tackle to start, but taking him at 31 and trying him at tackle with a team in a Super Bowl window just right. doesn't make sense. His, his pass blocking needs total reworking. But <laughs> I mean, he's, his, his, he's his, a, he needs to grow up. I mean, he's a young player. I, I, I think you bring in a tackle that you, at 31 that you expect to start, I, I think you're making mistakes. Oh, for sure. Tunsil, trade for Tunsil. No, Everything you have. Trade for trade for Collins now. I like Collins. I like Tunsil. And if you were able to come out of that and still have the 31st overall pick, I like Kyrie Elam, the cornerback out of Florida. Yeah. Bring it, bring uh, see, that's it, that's what I think is that they, they do enough for what they want to do to where you're looking at the, the strong positions in the draft. Yeah. Corner exactly. at the end of the first round and – an edge yes because like, i don't like i don't care that they have trey hendrickson and sam hubbard's pretty good and joseph osai we hope is good like you cannot have enough edge guys like no so and that's I one of the a, I, I thought you wanted a pass rushing three tech the, yeah i do but unless De, Devontae wyatt falls to 31 there's really not anybody that i want no, to take man, there. i don't i don't think you take i don't think they're gonna have i think the two defensive tackles that go off the board in the first round will be Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt. You could go after Travis Jones if they let BJ Hill walk, but I think they try kind of like a, a redundancy of DJ Reader, though. Like he is, but I mean, I like what they had in, in having BJ Hill and DJ Reader, though. I mean, right, two of those guys, I think. Is I important. mean, Jones, like Jones feels like more of a nose than a three tech. I mean, I know he, he tested out, out the roof, so maybe he I mean, is I mean, a... definitely more of a nose. No, you're right. I, I think they, they should look to make a priority to re sign BJ Hill, though. And I do like them going corner or pass rusher if they do show up the offensive line and Zion Johnson or one of these guys, one of these whales doesn't fall. They right. go corner, you can't have enough cornerbacks, and that's been a room that they've added to. But I think you continue. They love they that. love first round corners, and they have a. I mean, assuming they cut Trey Wayne's, which yeah. I mean, they, they have that running. they have that spot <laughs> to slide that first round corner into. Exactly. I, I think Kyrie Elam would be great. I think that's a, that. I think he could fall that far. I think the Bengals would take him there. Do you think? Yeah. Do you think because of not testing at the combine, Andrew Booth could be an option at thirty-one? Potentially, I think he could fall that far as well. I think Andrew Booth is higher on PFF's board and, and maybe comes off the board in the twenties. It'd be interesting to see if he gets past the Philadelphia Eagles third pick in the first round, which is crazy to say. But I think that um, I, I do think that the Bengals could be locking in on corner. And, like, I agree with you. You can't have enough pass rushers. Grab Boye Mafe at the back end of the first, right? Grab uh, Jermaine John. I don't think Jermaine Johnson's falling that far anymore. But, like, you have so many pass rushers. I think eight guys ultimately go in the well, top. Nick, Nick Benito, Boye Mafe, uh, the Ebiketti. Ebiketti. I think all those guys, right? I mean, a corner or pass rusher, if one of these guys that you can't, start right away and have success with isn't there. Like I think Zion Johnson could start oh, for the Bengals. I think yeah, for sure. Bomb could start tomorrow for the Bengals. And again, all that depends on how they spend this money in free agency, right? They have a lot of money in free agency. There's some offensive line talent available. Go add like four or five guys. Honestly. Like go yeah, add I mean, take the Buffalo Bills approach of just like throwing dudes at the position and just yeah. raise like we talked about raising the floor of the whole yes. offensive line. Like no let them all links. battle it out. Yes. Yes. No weak links. Don't don't I don't even like, don't even think about it as filling needs, like a position. Like, oh, we got a guard. We're good at guards. Like, no, you need as many capable human beings that play along the offensive line as possible <laughs> and and don't stop. I, and honestly, I think they, they, they do that even with the development they want to have in Jonah Williams and development they want to have with Jackson Carmen. It doesn't matter. Like, go get as much as you can and play your best guys. And, and if that's For Jackson sure. Carmen, play Jackson Carmen. If it's Jonah Williams, play Jonah Williams. You can't afford with a Super Bowl-capable quarterback – to say, well, we still really like Jonah. It's like, no, you know who you like? It's the guy who keeps your quarterback upright. 
keep throwing resources at the offensive line. Yep, I agree, man. Are, 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 are there levels at PFF? Like, are there positions for, like, washed-up 37-year-old dad? Uh, that, like, are. can't go to the combine? Man, you're, but, giving like, me, you're giving me a lot of credit on the age number there. Thank you. I'm trying to help you out. Like you, like sometimes you list a guy at six four and he's really six one. I'm trying to help you out, Dave. No, there's always there's always roles of PFF for you guys. I really appreciate it, man. I, I think no, uh, no, like this is like this is the perfect job for Dave. Like because this is all this he thing lives. Did not, PFF did not exist when I was in my in my twenties. So he he lives, eats, sleeps, and dreams draft. That's great. Like, it, like it, he does his own mocks. Do you get out to seven, Dave? Seven, seven rounds? Oh, of course. <laughs> what the hell? See? What's the point in doing a mock if you don't end up getting to all seven rounds? It's true. I'm just anybody, trying. Like, anybody can do a first round mock. I mean. I, I'm trying to turn his passion into like, you know, like a, a career. Now, yeah. we'd have to make sure in his contract there was a clause. He could still do this podcast. <laughs> He's too and valuable go to let go. go higher ground. Well, yeah, yeah, like he's too valuable to let go on that end. But I think he'd much rather work for you guys than Kroger. Oh, don't let don't don't let them know. <laughs> you don't have to go to the draft and and drink every night, Dave. Oh, the, but I but combine. I would want but I would want to. I mean, I want to hang out with Austin and, and get Uncrustables oh, at Prime cool. at six a.m. and you know. Dude, I, I, did you I, see I, the? Did you see the the remembrance gloss over his eyes? No, man. Dude, uh, okay, I, I know, I know, we've kept you a while. You have to tell the the hot pocket story. Oh my god! Um, Haven't you made him do this before? No, uh, no. This that was his mom dude. and the pancake story. This okay, is okay. this just uh, happened at the combine. Yeah. So I mean, to speak to the combine, to add some context. I've said this on the podcast. It's an unparalleled bar scene. It is unparalleled. I, 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 you could go back to college, any college bar, pick you want. It's different because – And they're going to move it to fucking – No, they're not. Like I don't know if they will, man. I don't know if they will. I hope not. Knock on wood because it's just too good. But there's a, you know, there's a bar that everyone goes to in Indianapolis called High Velocity, which is in the lobby of the Marriott, which is where everyone stays when they're there for the week. And that bar closes at 12. And at 12, unlike any bar scene I've ever been a part of, 90% of the people at that bar – navigate to another bar that stays open till anyone leaves. Like they literally don't close it. You're getting offered beers at five, five 30 in the morning. Like it's like, it's absurd. Like New York doesn't stay open this late. And there we end up staying late. And when we come back, it's so late that nothing's open, right? Nothing, no, no food. And I'm yeah, looking, the steak and shakes, not 24 hours there anymore. The steak and shake used to be 24 hours. COVID ruined that too. And we have now me on a hunt for some food here. So then I'm going to, I go to the lobby of the Marriott and they have this like the concession stand and oh, they have like, pockets and taquitos and a bunch of garbage. And I like start just grabbing a bunch of stuff. And it's me with a couple of buddies from PFF. And I'm like, I know it's going to be expensive, right? I know it's going to be expensive. It's going to be like movie theater level of expensive. And I just throw everything on there, like eight hot pockets, taquitos, chips, Doritos. I'm like, don't even tell me how much it is. Just I'm going to pay for it and we're going to eat it. So then we give it up to her. He's like checking all the items. He's got like this list of like, how much is a hot pocket? Just writing it down. It's a freaking disaster. It takes forever. We're in the process of like, let's just go upstairs and microwave all this stuff. And he's like, there's no microwaves in the rooms. Like, there's, there's one right there. And he like points to this is fucking microwave on the ground. There's a microwave on the ground. We're like, <laughs> we're putting in 
like three pot pockets at a time, trying to get through this process in the weirdest way possible, like 5 a.m. in the morning before people wake up, right? Like you're trying to move quickly because you got you got no time. Aren't you like an hour from the continental breakfast? Exactly, exactly. At that point, we're like, what are we doing? It's it's not great, right? It's not great. We're, and the hot pockets, when you fun fact, hot pockets that already struggle when you microwave them. If you microwave four at a time, they don't get cooked. <laughs> you know, like you're just like, like it's ice in pockets. the middle. Yeah. They break so your eating, teeth. We're eating icy hot pocket. Like are closer to ice cream sandwiches than anything warm. <laughs> and as we're eating these and, and we're trying to heat up the taquitos, we're trying to do all this stuff. He finally gets done and he says, hands me back my car. And he's like, it was $380. <laughs> I, was, I was like, floored. You were instantly floored. sober. Floored. Instantly sober. It's a great way of putting it. Instantly sober. We're all like, like a half, cold hot pocket in my mouth. I want to cry. We sit down and we're like sulking because more hot pockets are heating up. The taquitos are heating up. And I'm like, we're all like laughing. And then you're kind of like, wait, I kind of want to cry. One guy Venmo's me like 80 bucks immediately. He's like, I feel so bad because I paid for it all. And then I'm sitting there like. You couldn't you know, expense that? You couldn't expense that? Probably not. PFF's not down with the $380 in <laughs> hot pockets? So then we're counting like we only, had, we only bought like 17 to 20 items. And I'm like, this hot pocket had to have been like $19. <laughs> <laughs> I'm eating like a $19 hot pocket. Trying to do math. I'm losing my mind. Losing my mind. It's not even good. It's not even warm. We finally get everything freaking microwaved. And then we, we're starting to go upstairs. I'm carrying like a bunch of half-eaten hot pockets. And the guy on the end, I'm walking the elevator. He says, who paid for that? I said, it was me. And he's like, it was actually only 100 bucks." And we all start dying laughing. He totally lied to us. And we were like, ah, 100 bucks." <laughs> I was going to say, that's like a 4,000% markup. I'm, I'm sitting here producing, and I'm like, holy hell. I don't know how it happened, man. I don't know how it happened. Um, but it was uh, it was a funny experience, man. The combine, though. I'll tell you what, dude. It's it's Every, every day is a story, dude. Everyone stays out as late as you can. I talked to Jack Del Rio about how we should have won the Super Bowl that year with Derek Carbrook. It's like, I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. Good fun, man. It's to see, to see all the people on the same, in the same bar scene and all that stuff is crazy. Wow. Tell, tell everybody where they, you got a lot going on right now. Tell, yeah. tell everybody where they My can man's find. A star. My man's a star. Make sure, make sure you uh, check out tailgate. It's my podcast. Go to PFF.com. got a lot of work going out there. And then obviously in April, 2022, the number one overall pick, I think, uh, Aiden Hutchinson, the Michigan defensive end. Uh, we're doing a four-part podcast series with him. It should be an insane piece, man. The amount of work that's going into this thing, it's going to be awesome, an awesome piece of content. So make sure you check it out. You can also follow me on Twitter, PFF underscore Austin Gale, G-A-Y-L-E. Thanks again for having me, is guys. This a, is this a, so, I, I know a solo I Is this solo project, you, you and, and Aiden and the crew? Yeah. Or? It's me, Aiden, some producers. I'll shout out David Sofar, our director of communications, who's setting up a lot of this. And then also – you know, a lot of his family, right? It's his dad, it's his mom, it's his sisters. It's, I talked to Jim Harbaugh. I talked to a handful of other coaches, David Ajabo, uh, Chase Winovich, Quiddy Pay. Like it's been a lot of conversations with Michigan people to just, and I've said it the whole way through. It's just to tell his story, right? I think there's a lot, a lot of people want to know. I think there's lots of more to know about him uh, that's going to come out in this piece. I know I tell you this all the time. I'm fucking proud of you, man. I appreciate like, not a lot of people know you moved here from San Diego on a whim to work for PFF. You hit me up and wanted to work for Bearcat Journal. You worked for Bearcat Journal. You worked doing high school for the Inquirer. You worked for public access stations. You worked pulling cables for <laughs> Fox Sports Ohio. Yeah. Like you got to Cincinnati and said, I'm working. Like yeah. we're, we're going to figure this out. I'm not here like to, to have this fail. 
you busted your ass and you're fucking cruising right now, bro. I am so proud of you. I appreciate it, man. I'm still nowhere near where you guys are at, but I appreciate it. Oh, <laughs> you kick our ass every now, day. Now, now you're just now you're just kissing ass. <laughs> <laughs> appreciate you, brother. We'll talk course, soon. Thanks, this Austin. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good one. Austin Gale, Pro Football Focus. I, I that's it, right? Like, are we good? I mean, dude just has just brings the energy. I mean, he's the he's the Kerry Combs of PFF. Just I'm, all I, the energy, I, all the juice. I mean, we, I mean, him and I could literally we could talk draft for. I mean, like, because he would do it. We could just oh, yeah. talk. We could talk for four or five hours, like no problem. So when he got here, like he literally, like he 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 slid in my DMs and was like, "I want to do some work." Like I'm a college football nut. I, like I'm a, you know, I'm working like clerical, like he's working like the mail desk at PFF when he first moved here, uh, just fresh out of college. And next thing I know, man, he's got a byline, like he's working for us. He's working for PFF. He's got a byline in the inquire. Like I have friends that work on all the production teams around town um, from when I did like public access TV and all the shit that like all those guys freelance, you know, and like Austin Gale, Austin Gale, Austin Gale. I'm like, is he, is he sleeping? Like I worry about my friend. Is he sleeping? Dude, dude, at has, all? dude I don't, I'm not going to tell his story. Dude, dude has a story. Like, oh yeah. I mean, like, you know, we'll, we'll get him on sometime and just, and how, like not football. Like, right. I mean, like talk. it's, it's, it's some wild shit. Yeah. And it makes what he's done even like more. Hell yeah. Like, his work ethic is insanity. Insanity. The hours he puts in, like the level of dedication he has. Like for a while, he didn't even have a car. Like he would be like, uh, you want to meet up for lunch? And I'm like, yeah, where, where do you want to meet up? He's like, I don't care. So I would pick somewhere and I would be like, you know, how you getting there? He's like, oh, I'm riding my bike. I'm like, Austin, it's December. It's 14 degrees outside, and you're three miles away. He's like, oh, it's fine. <laughs> He's nuts. I love it. Like, that was awesome. But, like, you, you can't get any better than that. Oh, uh, yeah. It was an hour and 20 minutes or an hour and 10 minutes or whatever it was. That's what I mean. Like, I, I just know, like, we he'll, he'll, you know, give our fans what, what you know, what they – not that they want to hear. Like he's not going to. He loves the UC program. He we're not really gonna, like. You know, he's not going to sugarcoat stuff. Like just because he knows he's coming on a UC pod. But like his passion and energy and just, he just you know he wants to talk about it. So it's an it's a great it's a great guest to have, and it it fits so perfectly with where UC is at right now. I mean, you got eight guys at the combine. Like that's that's a lot of a lot of stuff to talk about. We, we've done plenty on spring practice so far. And you can get all three practice reports. I'll have another one tomorrow at some point. It might be Saturday. It's been a rough day. Uh, I don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. Uh, but spring practice report number four is coming uh, after practice tomorrow. Then the basketball game tomorrow. We got plenty going on. I don't know that we need to even like go any farther than than that. Oh no, we're, I mean no. What, what are we going to talk about now? I mean, we could go another thirty minutes on spring football, but like, <laughs> yeah, we'll have more. We can save that next week. The, you know, the conference tournament will be done. We'll have another. You know, we'll have. We'll need some time to. You know, with no spring practice next week, we'll need. Some, we're 
we'll get we got Brady coming on the BBP on Monday. Um, I, I'm gonna give you first dibs on something. It won't be for next week. It'll be down the road. But do you want Royer on this podcast, or are you gonna release him for for another podcast? Do you do you want a while to chat with Ryan Royer? It's it's up to you, man. You're you're the you're in charge. No, man. I'm I, I know I'm I'm running the shit. I'm asking you. You're like this is the podcast, right? This is the flagship. Yeah. I'm asking you, do you want Royer or do you want to like yeah, let's let somebody bring, else let's, have it? Let's bring Royer on. All right. It won't be this week, this coming week, or, or next week, whatever. He's going to Florida. It's his last chance for spring break because he's already got a job oh, going yeah. out of college. He's got his engineering degree. Well, like, we we might we might use our our one uh, help us out. Yeah, let's work on that. Week. If we can do that, let's try to do that for next week. Yeah, you can, you go ahead and set that up. I'll give it. I'll give it my best shot. It it might not be live. It might be something we have to record. Yeah. To where we um we drop it in or or whatever the case may be on a on a longer podcast. Hopefully, we'll have a chance to have it live. But I'll try to make that happen for next week. If we get Brady and then this guest next week, like the spring break is going to be just fine. You won't yeah. be missing. You won't be missing anything. So let's wrap it up. Like, dude, Austin fires me up. He gets me so excited. That guy's, uh, I, I love him I so love much. I mean, damn, damn. I'm just too old. PFF wasn't around back then. You're not. I'm telling you. I think we can get you in there full time and not have to be one of the young guy roles. No, P- well, that's, I don't think they're going to pay me. <laughs> To come no, I think and... they are. <laughs> Dude, you can sit there and watch tape and, and like go home in a normal hour to your wife. Your wife what? and kid go to bed. Yeah. Then you watch more tape. <laughs> you might not get much sleep, but I think you could be all right. Yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> all right, that's gonna wrap it up. That was that was outstanding. Uh another million thanks to Austin for coming on. It, it, the, thing, the thing that's been always tough with Austin lately. It's whenever you get him, he's like, I got 20 minutes. Oh, yeah, he was like, when I, when I asked him, I was like, can you join us Thursday? He's like, dude, Thursday, I am slammed. What time? I was like, we start at 8. What works for you? He's like, I can do 8.45. I was like, fine. Like, I genuinely expect when, you, like, we hear from Austin, it's going to be like, I've got 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so getting him for an hour plus, hell yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. So that'll be it. We will see you. Um, we'll get a nightcap up tonight. I, I don't know about this weekend, man. There's we got some some not so great news that I'm still trying to uh comprehend on Kelly. Um I'll figure it out. I don't want to worry everybody yet, but we'll see. Uh so we'll see where I'm at. Uh, we'll we'll get something up tomorrow for sure with the basketball game and and with practice, but uh, it might be a light Chad weekend. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, take take some time, dude. We'll see what we can figure out with nightcaps anyway. Bear, Bearcat Sports will will still will be fine. Yeah, I know, we'll but, yeah, but you know this. Sometimes this is a way to get my mind off for sure. things for an hour or two. Sometimes I need it, but um, that's gonna wrap it up, Aaron. Let's go knock out a nightcap. Dave, great show tonight. I'm glad you and Austin had a chance to chop it up. You two uh, are like the the two best friends in the world. You're kindred (laughs) spirits. (laughs) He's Dave Simone. Thanks to Aaron Smith, as always, producer extraordinaire. 
I'm Chad Brendel. We'll see you next time. It's the Holy Grail BCJ podcast right here on BearcatJournal.com.